Mic check one two. Mic check one two. Mic check one two. Mic check one two. Oh, wow, that's really really low. Uh, mic check one two. That's really loud. Mic check one two. That sound good to you? You gotta go higher. Higher. Mic check one two. Mic check one two. I guess that's fine. Okay. It's see the the headphones here sound way louder than those do. Like way louder. All right. Let, let's give you a shot. Mic check one two. Mic check. We're good. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Bat Around. I'm your host, Paul Valley. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Zach Goodman. And the Bat Around is brought to you by the Baltimore Ravens. Every seat is the best seat at M&T Bank Stadium. Don't miss a moment of Ravens football this season. Single-game tickets are now available at BaltimoreRavens.com slash tickets. Doing things a little bit different this morning. Um... We have a guest at 10.05 this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Chip Carey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the broadcaster for the Atlanta Braves, uh, play-by-play man for the Atlanta Braves, and he's going to be joining us at 10.05 to talk about the Braves World Series Championship. Of course, the Braves won their first World Championship since 1995, only the second since moving to the city of Atlanta. Um, Max Free went out in Game 6 and absolutely dominated yes, the he Astros. Did. Six shutout innings. Jorge Soler hit a 450. 46-foot three-run homer in the third inning, his third homer of the series, all of which gave his team the lead, a feat only accomplished by five other players in Major League history. Can you name those players, Zach? Oh, no. Glenn, <laughs> Glenn struggled with this no. because you have to go way back, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, Babe Ruth in 1926. Makes sense. Lou Gehrig in 1928. Okay. Gene Tennis. Yeah, never heard of him. I hadn't either until in 1972. Gene Tennis? Tennis. As opposed to like Gene Golf? Yeah. Well, (laughs) T-E-N-A-C-E. Gene Tennis. Um, He hit four home runs in that World Series, and they all gave uh, the Athletics the lead. The crazy thing is, in the regular season, in 82 games, he hit five home runs. 
Wow. And he hit four in the World Series. Wow. Uh, the others being Curtis Granderson with the Mets in 2015 and George Springer with the Astros in 2017. So, uh, Jorge Soler was named the Nash, the um, World Series MVP for his performance in the World Series. Nice. So his batting average yep. was pretty low. It was like 246. Yeah. But he hit the three homers. He, was, he had a, played a big role in that. Um, I don't know the exact stat here. But the NLCS MVP and the World Series MVP for the Braves, Eddie Rosario and Jorge Soler, mm-hmm. are both players that were acquired at the deadline. I don't think that's ever happened before. No, I don't think so either. And yeah. and that's one of the big stories about the Braves is that they got a lot of these guys through the deadline. This was you know how they really retooled and got to be a better team in you know that that got them over the hump. Because if you look at their numbers. Up until August, they weren't a very good team. You know, they were under 500 by August 1st. This was not a team that anybody expected to be in the World Series. They went out and they added um, at the end of July, and hey, it, it got them. Well, it yeah, got them in the spot that they they needed to be. They added Soler, who was mm-hmm. a World Series MVP. They added Rosario, who was an NLCS MVP. Yep. They added um, Adam Duvall, who came back yep. uh, at the trade deadline. Trade the trade deadline. <laughs> the trade deadline. Yeah. And. He led the National League in RBIs, mm-hmm. and they added Jock Peterson, yep. who won back-to-back World Series championships with the Dodgers and then the Braves. It was a great—I'm wondering, and we're going to ask Chip this in, the, in just a moment when mm-hmm. he's on the show, wondering where that deadline, those deadline moves rank all time. Because without those guys, the Braves don't win the World Series. No, I don't even know if they win their—you know, win anything, honestly. I, I don't know if they make the playoffs. I, it's This is a team that was transformed by— Really, four guys that came in and, and just changed the the winning culture of the organization. And you, look, you look at a guy like Soler, he was really struggling. I believe he was batting under 200 when he came over. Um, and Soler's been a good player in the past. Soler is, is a guy who has hit you know 30-plus home runs multiple times now. He's a guy who has a lot of power, and he's, you know, he's an exciting player. But a guy like that, you can acquire him, and he can, and he can come in and, and just change everything like he did and come up so clutch in the playoffs. Like you said, only hit 246 in the World Series or so, but he got the clutch hits they needed. A guy like that can just change everything. And that's why teams, in my opinion, should always be aggressive at the trade deadline because you never know what you can acquire. Um, and, and people forget the Solaire... Led the majors in home runs just a few years ago. Right, right, right. He, he does it all the time. He's he's a he's a massive power hitter, and he's a guy that is is well respected as one of these the, the best power hitters in baseball. So when you go out and get a guy like that, yes, he was struggling, but he can really really help a team. And I think that's why teams at the trade deadline should just be very aggressive because you never know what you're going to get. And you look at what the Astros did in 2017. That's how they won their World Series in 2017. Yeah, it's uh, savvy moves for sure. In Baltimore, we're kind of uh, lamenting things a little bit here because the Orioles, they don't make those moves right now because they're not in that position. The Orioles have made some moves, however, uh, recently that we're going to get into a little bit later in the program uh, when we talk with Stan, when we talk with Brett Hollander, when we do Orioles banter. Hunter Harvey was placed on waivers. They almost snuck him through, but the Giants claimed him. Um, and the Giants had the 28th spot in waiver claims. The only other team was the Braves behind them because they won the World Series. Uh, Giants uh, got... Got Hunter Harvey. Orioles, it's a little bit of a shocking move because of the fact that um, they need bullpen arms. They need arms in their rotation. They need arms in their bullpen. And this guy's under team control. He's pre-arbitration eligible. He's not going to cost them a ton. And they risked putting him on waivers. Now they lost a powerful arm. Now the deal is he hasn't been on the field. He's been hurt seemingly every year since he got drafted. I mean, he was really good. 
in 2014, but then he had to have Tommy John surgery. He missed 2015. He missed 2016 with a sh- with a shoulder injury. Um, he had n- numerous injuries. Hasn't been on the field, but he's a young guy with team control who's pretty cheap because he's pre-arbitration eligible. You would have liked to have seen them hold on to him a little bit longer, but how many off-seasons can we say that? How many years can we say that before it's time to be done? The only problem there is that you lost him for nothing. He he basically goes to the Giants for nothing. And now you're still scrambling to find people in your bullpen. Another guy that left is Chris Ellis. Uh, the Orioles put him on waivers. 249 ERA and six starts at the end of the year for the Orioles. Uh, proved to be a pretty reliable guy for them. And they put him on waivers and he elects free agency. I don't think this team is in a, is in a position to be letting guys who have had even a modicum of success walk. And that's what they just did with Chris Ellis. Now, look, we saw some good starts out of Spencer Watkins, who, by the way, was also placed on waivers. He was outright, and he accepted his assignment to AAA. So he remains in the organization. Spencer Watkins started out, and everybody, and everybody thought, oh, is this the next John Means? Well, no, he wasn't. He wasn't even close to the next John Means. And it ended up being a situation where he just wasn't very good. You look at Chris Ellis, maybe that happens with him. But everything we saw from Chris Ellis was good. Everything we saw from Chris Ellis was good through six starts. Again, that 2-4-9 ERA, and he's gone because they placed him on waivers. Mm-hmm. Look, that roster's down to 27 guys. The 40-man roster's down to 27. Yes. They have 12 guys who are at least worth taking a look at for keeping, um, to, for protecting from the Rule 5. Four who are locks. Mm-hmm. D.L. Hall, uh, Kyle Bradish, Kevin Smith, and Taron Vavra. But then you look at that next level, and it's Robert Newstrom and Caden Grenier and Adam Hall, um, mm-hmm. Ofelki Peralta, uh, and, and the Orioles just—they're going to have tough decisions to make. Yeah, and, and, that's, and, not and so, that's not a surprise. Yeah, and some of these decisions already have been tough. Pedro mm-hmm. Severino's—that's not tough. You knew that he was going to be non-tender. They—they weren't going to uh, give him arbitration. They weren't going to give him that raise. They know Adley Rutschman's coming, but. Yep. Now they don't have a single man on the a single catcher on the forty man roster. They've right. got work to do this offseason. Right, you get rid of a guy like Nick Chufo, and and that's a guy who we talked about is is a good potential backup for Rutschman this year. He's he's definitely a possibility. Um, you know, and I, I think this is definitely going to give Adley a chance to make the team out of spring training. I think he has a great chance. I would put it over seventy five percent at this point. I think just based on the fact that the Orioles don't have anyone left and Adley Rutschman is the clear guy coming into 2022 to be the guy, the catcher for the Orioles, I think there's a good chance he makes this team out of spring training. I don't think the same is true for Grayson Rodriguez. And I don't know really who the Orioles are going to add in the offseason that could really change that that much. I think they're really planning to go with Rutschman. I'm very confident in that. They, they could be. They could be. And Elias alluded to that mm-hmm. uh, in his end-of-year presser. That, uh, and even before that, that Rutschman, that they're not opposed to Rutschman or Grayson Rodriguez making the team out of spring training. Right. Grayson Rodriguez is a stretch, right? Yeah, I, I doubt it. I would really doubt it. Yeah, he's probably—I'd be surprised if we see him before June, Yeah, to be I, perfectly honest with you. But, right. Uh, and the same thing with Kyle Stowers. Unless Kyle mm-hmm. Stowers comes out and has this monster spring, and even then it might not be mm-hmm. enough— the only way is if he forces their hand, like Trey Mancini did in 2017 right. and like Nick Markakis did in 2006, where right. they were just so good in spring, mm-hmm. you couldn't justify sending them down. Right. Right. Uh, if, with with Rutschman, and again, this is all contingent on the new CBA. And maybe the new CBA um, 
says that, you, that maybe there's something, some wording that goes against mm-hmm. service clock manipulation, right? Um, yeah, I maybe mean, maybe the, the, there's new literature in there that says, hey, these guys have to be paid this amount of money, mm-hmm. and they have to be on the club by this time, and they ca- they have to be free agents by this time. And if that's the case, if no matter what, they have to be a free agent by tw- by so. One of the things that, that the MLBPA is trying to to do with the CBA is say that by 29 and a half, every player has the ability to be a free agent. Now, if you've signed a contract extension before then, that's not the case. But if you're still in your rookie deal and you're 29 and a half years old, you can become a free agent. If that's the case, Adley Rutschman's 24 years old. Right. He'll be 24 entering next season. Not really a big deal So for it's him. it's it's not a thing. No. The service clock manipulation doesn't exist. No. If that's in the new CBA, and if that's the case, then yes, Adley Rutschman starts the season on the Orioles' opening day roster mm-hmm. as their everyday catcher. If there's still the ability to manipulate that service time, then yeah, Rutschman's probably down at Norfolk until May 1st. So uh, that 29 and a half rule you're mentioning, I like it. I think that's something that's really smart, and I think that service time manipulation is, is definitely a problem. And I think one of the bigger issues with this all is that players are taking longer and longer to get to the major leagues and the minors. We know that. People don't watch the draft, and people don't care about the draft because most of the guys they're seeing are going to debut in four or five years. That's the gen- you know you're you're getting high school guys who are 18 years old. They're not going to debut until they're 23. Um, this is a problem, right? Like this is something we see in no other sport. This is not something we see in basketball or football or any of it. The 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 gap between the majors and minors and how long it takes for guys to get there, I think it has to be shortened. And I think a 29 and a half rule like this makes sense in in shortening this this time between the majors and the minors and it, it's not the worst thing in the world to to you know kill service time manipulation even though the Orioles are a team that probably benefit from it yeah I, I, I'm not a big fan of the service time manipulation because I, I I've said this all year if your guys are as good as you think they are mm-hmm. if they're as good as you wanting to keep them to get that extra year of team control then you're going to extend them before they hit that point anyway. Right. At least I would like to think so. Right. I mean, if, I, if I'm looking at it, unless you're the Rays, if I'm looking at a team, yeah. if I'm looking at my team and they have Adley Rutschman and he is rookie of the year in 2022, mm-hmm. he's an MVP front runner in, two, in 2023, and he leads you to a World Series in 2024, if you haven't extended him by then and you're not going to, that sucks. Like, that, like that's... Yeah. The, the, why would the fan base want to stick around for that? Right. Uh, so to me, I don't know, man. I, I just feel like service clock manipulation shouldn't be a thing if your players are good enough and you want to keep them around long term. I don't disagree, and I, I think there is a a good chance that the Orioles will extend Rutschman before we even have to worry about that. I don't I'd really like to think so. I there are other, there are right. other fans who don't feel that way. I, I don't really know how much Rutschman has. A factor in service time manipulation. I don't really know if he's one of the guys we can pick out to talk about it with that topic. There's plenty of guys that you would. Uh, a guy who's 26 or 27 years old as a rookie, that's something that's going to make a big difference. And especially if you you know implement this 29 and a half rule where guys are free agents, you're only getting you know if you know they're 26, 27, you're only going to get three years or so out of them. So. There's definitely going to be big changes, and I, I think it's I, I think it's good for everyone. I really think it's good for everyone. I I don't know 
if the rules right now, with the way everything works, with all the Super 5 stuff, I think it just needs to be simplified. And I think people need to be under, uh, you know, understand it a little better. And I think if, if people understand a little better, it's going to help grow the game. I, I think really baseball, there's so much with contracts and, and service time and all these things that are very almost clouded in a way, where people just don't understand it because it's so confusing. Um, and if the CBA were to simplify this a little bit, I think it would help grow the game. Yeah, the, the CBA, they, they certainly have a lot of stuff to work on. They do. With, with that they CBA. Do. And again, we are less than a month away from that expiration. We're about yeah. four weeks yeah. away from that thing expiring. And from everything we're hearing, it's bad. There, there's going to be a work stop. It, it's bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say it's bad because I've read a couple of articles on it. and I don't feel good. The, the, so what's going to happen is it's going to be an owner lockout. It's not going to be a strike. It's going to be an owner lockout. Mm -hmm. And what the owner lockout does is it takes the ability of the Players Association to strike out of their hands. Mm -hmm. And so the lockout, and we're going to talk about this more in Orioles banter, um, but basically what a lockout does is it puts the pressure on the Players Association to be willing to work and bend a little bit to what the owners want Mm -hmm. um, so that they can get spring training started. Because it puts a freeze on everything. If there's a lockout, there's no winter meetings. Free agency freezes. Right. These players who are free agents, they have to freeze on their on getting contracts, and they don't want that. The MLBPA, ultimately, at the end of the day, their biggest gripe is they want to get paid. So here's the question for you: Do you think that the looming CBA lockout is going to have an effect on when free agents sign? Do you think they're going to start signing now? Do you think this is something that we could see way more deals happen in November, way more trades happen in November? And way more free agent signings happen in November because of the the upcoming CBA lockout. Well, yeah, I, I mean it's going to be one or the other. It's going to be mm-hmm. which is like such a cop out, I guess. It's such a simple thing yeah. to say. But look, if you can't sign a deal, if everything's frozen starting December second, mm-hmm. and you can't sign a deal until everything's figured out, then yeah, people might be, players might be more inclined to sign early. Now, right. look, they're not going to sign for less than what they feel they're worth. But if there's a team that comes out and says, hey. Um, Correa, I'm going to give you 10 years, 300 million instead of 12 years, 340 million. 10 years, 340 million. He might be more inclined to take right. that because he might not get that on the open market in March when this whole thing's figured out. He might get one year, and he's going to want to get his season going. Um, so, so maybe, maybe the 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 thing is, I think that you're going to see. I think and free agency starts on Monday. So we're going we're gonna to know starting on Monday. But I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of guys who aren't at the top, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe that, that second tier and that yeah. middle tier. Yeah. You're going to see those guys sign, I think, more quickly than the top tier. I think the top tier is still going to wait to get what they want. But the other guys going to be like, look, I might not get anything until March. And I might be have, have everything up in, up in the air right. until then not know where I'm going, until the season's almost ready to start. So maybe I'll sign now. And you might even see guys take lesser deals, mm-hmm. like a year or two instead of four years, five years, yeah. just so they know for sure that if a lockout happens, once the, once the lockout's over, they already know where they're going. Yeah, so the GM meetings, they're happening this week. Jerry Depoto, the GM of the Seattle Mariners, he's obviously a guy who wheels and deals a lot. He knows the trade market very well. He said on, on the radio the other day that... He expects the trade market to be very, very active at the GM meetings uh, next week. Mm -hmm. He says that those are almost the new winter meetings as far as 
free agent deals and especially trades, specifically trades. So I, you know, I think especially for the Orioles as a team going out and looking for these second, third tier guys, I could even see the Orioles making a few deals next week. Um, whether they're just signing minor league players, you know, uh, the minor league free agent deals. We know the Orioles love taking advantage of those. Um, I could see them making a few, maybe a small trade or so. We've already seen uh, a trade between the Reds and the Tigers happen already. Um, so it's not uncommon at this point in the year, even though we're you know not even going to be a week in a free agency at the GM meetings. Um, it, it, to, it wouldn't be uncommon to see a few deals. And I think the Orioles could be a part of that, especially based on the fact that they're looking for those second, third-tier guys and not necessarily the Carlos Correa, the Corey Seegers of the world. Yeah, look, it, it's going to be certainly interesting. Yeah, uh, The Orioles, they, like we said, they've cleared space, but they now have 13 open roster spots, no catchers on the roster. That's exciting, uh, though. It, it, it is until you figure that they have four guys that they have to bring back from the 60-day injured list. Fair. <laughs> and, then they, and then they have 12 guys who are worthy mm-hmm. of being protected. Not all 12 of them are going to be protected, but... I think there's four locks, and you're probably going to get maybe six, maybe even seven guys who were pre- protected overall because right. Robert Newstrom isn't one of those locks, but I think he will be protected. Uh, same thing with Patrick Dorian uh-huh. and maybe even Caden Grenier because they love his gloves so much. So that's something that we're going we're gonna to take a look at. Uh, we were supposed to have Chip Carey mm-hmm. on the program. Um, look, guys, sometimes these things happen. A couple of yep. weeks ago, Glenn and I were supposed to have Patrick Ricard uh, on the program, and when he was supposed to be on our show— he was involved in a hit and run. Somebody hit his car and then just yep. took off. So sometimes things happen. Uh, if Chip gets back to us and he wants to come on a later, later point in the show, we'll try and work that out. Yep. Uh, if he had been on, his segment would have been brought to you by the Press Box Fantasy Football Show. Join us every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalis. KZ will help you set your lineups and find deep sleepers that might still be on your waiver wire in order to help you win your matchups. It's all brought to you by CCBC, the Maryland Department of Transportation, and Glory Days Girl. That's the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalis every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Watch at Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. I have to admit, since I started doing the show with Glenn and I've been a part of uh, Ken Zalas's uh, fantasy football show, mm-hmm. out of my four teams, I've had one loss. Oh. Out of my four teams, right. I've had one loss since I started doing uh I mean, uh, he, he, he was the number three ranked expert in the world, correct? Uh, so, uh, in the in the in the nation, I don't know if it that's was pretty the, impressive, though. Yeah, like I mean, that, you should listen to this guy. Yeah, yeah, no, he he, uh, you know, a lot of times he says something that makes me scratch my head, and then he turns out to be right, and then it works, you know, yeah. and, and then yeah. it works out. So ever ever since I started doing Glenn's show, I'm something like seven and one. Wow, something like that. Right. So it's been a. It's been a good run for me, and I have to thank Ken Zalas for that. So, moving on. So, let's just talk about what we were going to talk about with Chip, since sure, uh, yeah. we, we couldn't get him on the show. Really unfortunate that we couldn't get him today. I'll try and figure out what happened. Maybe we can get him at another time. Braves again. They win their first World Series since 1995. Only second since the franchise moved to Atlanta. First and foremost, what does this mean for the city of Atlanta? I think it means a lot. I think it means a, a whole heck of a lot, especially for the fans that haven't seen a lot of success, especially recently in the postseason. They've made mm-hmm. a lot of postseasons lately, and they've been out of a lot of postseasons very quickly. Um, similar to the White Sox, almost, where they're just in and out, and that's it. The Braves are done. Um, I think it, the city really needed a championship, especially when you look at their other teams as of late, with the Hawks and the Falcons, and not being so uh, not not having that winning culture as much as the Braves. So I, I think the city definitely needed 
to the championship, and um, they deserved it, especially over over a city like the you know Los Angeles or, or that just had it, and they have championships all the time. I think this city desperately needed to see a championship. Well, and you mentioned the other sports franchises in mm-hmm. Atlanta. I, I saw something. I think it was eighty-seven combined seasons mm-hmm. in Atlanta between all four franchises since they've won anything. Yeah, that's so, bad. So like eighty-seven <laughs> that's combined bad. seasons, and, and, and look, that's not eighty-seven years. I mean, clearly the right. Braves won a World Series in nineteen ninety-five, right? Right, but I, I don't think they've won anything with any of their no. other three teams since then, right? Uh, that's a big deal. Yeah. That, that's tough for a city. I mean, in Baltimore, we are really, you know. Like stricken with failure when it comes to yes. the Orioles, they haven't yes. won a World Series in either of our lifetimes. Right. The last time they won one was in 1983, right? And we think that's been bad. We're going on their 39th season without a, without a World Series championship. They're going to hit 40, right? Uh, and then, but, you, but, uh, but at least the Ravens have won two Super Bowls, and Mar- right. and and the Maryland Terrapins won a national championship in basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, both men and women. Won national right. championship. Soccer won a national championship. Lacrosse won a national championship. Their field yep. hockey team wins like every year. I don't even count that. Like they just. It's like when I went to Falston. It's and automatic. And right, Falston yeah. field hockey won the world. Won um, the state championship like every freaking year when I went to Falston. It just happened. It's just you expect it at this point. But go ahead. Lucky you. <laughs> Lucky yeah, I was. I was the one guy on the. Fa- <laughs> you know that field hockey is a man's sport everywhere outside of America. Didn't know that. It's it's a men's sport everywhere outside of America. I did not know that. But, yeah. no, I, I really feel this championship means a lot. And I think especially for the fans that, you know, stuck through it because they had some really rough years, and Freddie Freeman experienced those. Um, he experienced some years where they were losing a lot of games, and he stuck with it. And I think it's really cool for the fans, too, to see Freddie Freeman finally have that win. It's it, He's been with that team for, I believe, 12 years, and he's a guy that is basically a, a an Atlanta legend at this point. And he the one thing he was missing was a ring. It was so cool to see Freddie Freeman. For me, that was my favorite part of the whole thing. Freddie Freeman, I think that was everybody's favorite part, right? Because yeah. it's Freddie Freeman. Like, you know the story about how his mom died from cancer um, when, when he was, uh, when he I think he was in high school, maybe even middle school when his mom died. Um, he was telling the story and he's still crying about it, you know, 10, 15, almost 20 years later. Um and you look at Freddie Freeman, and you, the Braves fans look at Freddie Freeman, I think, the way we look at Trey Mancini. Uh, yeah, probably Maybe, pretty similar. Yeah, I, I think it's a similar type of love mm-hmm. between Freddie Freeman and the fans of Atlanta as it is Trey Mancini and the fans of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie Freeman is a free agent. Uh, he's not young. Right. He's, what, 33 now? Uh, I will check Thir- on that. I, th- I believe he's 32, I, 33 I, I think years you're right. The question is, look, he wants to be back. The Braves, I think they're saying they want him back, but is that on the surface? So he's 32, um, which is is probably over your prime at this point, uh, but he did just hit 300 this year with 31 home runs, so I, I don't even know if I can yeah, say and, that. And he was the National League MVP last year, right. albeit in a, in a, in a pandemic-shortened sure. season, but he was the National League MVP, comes out, hits 300 this year with 31 homers. Um, 900 OPS. I mean, the guy is is still a very impactful player. I don't think and he, defensively, he's fantastic. Right, right. I I have no reason to believe he's done with Atlanta. None. Yeah, I, I because what what's he going to get elsewhere? It, it's, right. it's a, people are going to pay him. He the dude's going to make his money. He's going to sign somewhere. He's not going to not play. Right. He's too productive still at, at his age. Too good of a defender. The the personality. The the character, somebody's going to sign him. 
how long? Is he going to get three years? Is he going to get five years? Yeah. I, I don't think he's getting eight years. No way. I, I think five would probably be the max that Freddie Freeman gets. Mm-hmm. Five years, $100 million. Five years, $125 million. Something around around that ballpark. Um, is Atlanta going to give that to him? Or is Atlanta going to try and get a home, ta- home team discount from him? I almost think they can't not. They can't not do it, if that makes sense. I, I think he could get a deal similar to DJ LeMahieu last year. Okay. Um, DJ LeMahieu was going into his age 33 season, just like Freddie Freeman. Um, he made six, six for 90, um, which, by the way, not a smart deal by the Yankees. Um, but I do think Freddie Freeman's a considerably better player than DJ LeMahieu, in my opinion. I think he, you know, he's, Freddie Freeman's a top-five hitter in baseball. Yeah, I mean, let's not sell DJ LeMahieu. No, he's a great the, the, player. The guy's a two-time batting batting champion. Yeah. The guy does not strike out. No. He's one of the hardest guys. I think he's the hardest guy in baseball to strike out, and he's a good defender at second base. I, I think that uh, Freddie Freeman has more power, has more power than DJ oh, LeMahieu. Oh, yeah, But I, I think as players, for their positions, they're pretty comparable. So for me, though, um, for me, a guy who's going to be 39 at the end of that contract Oh, um, I don't think it's a smart move. Yeah, I to don't give somebody that uh, I, that long of a commitment when they're thirty three years old. I don't. I, I thought it was stupid then, and he had a down year this year. There's so, no doubt about it. So in eleven years, uh, he's uh, DJ LeMahieu has twenty six point five WAR, and in twelve years, Freddie Freeman has forty three point one. So considerably, be- you know, in just one more year. Uh, has has had almost you know not it's not gonna be double but it's almost you know not that far from being double the war um in his career so for me Freeman's a lot of a better player so he, I, I think he's gonna get more than ninety million dollars that's my that's my point here I, I believe that he's a better player yeah a- and at, at a at a I don't care what people say first base is hard first oh no ba- doubt first no base doubt. is a hard position to play no doubt and you're involved in most of the plays that yeah. happen in, in yeah. a given game right so. Th- you can get a guy to play second base. Steve Pierce played second base for the Orioles. Yes, you know he what did. I mean? Yes, he did. Uh, so you can find a guy. I mean, who's another guy? Ty Wigginton. Sure. What was a second baseman? Yep. Uh, Mike Moustakis. You know what I mean? So you can find people. That's a good point. You can find people to play second base. A uh, gold glove defensive first baseman who hits in the heart of the order, bats 300, is a former MVP, and mm-hmm. hits 30 bombs a year. Yeah, that's a better player. It, it, yeah. It's. I, I, I think that. Overall, they mean as much to each team. But you're right, Freddie. Freddie Freeman's a better player. Uh, six six years for ninety million. The Braves, and, and most contracts that you sign, most long term commitments that you sign, you're paying for the first half right. of that contract. Right. right? Yeah. I think that if the Braves could get six years, ninety million. That's fifteen million. What is that? Fifteen million? Uh sure. Sounds no, right. Six, <laughs> Sixteen million, something like that. Um, a year. I think that the Braves would jump. All over that. A hundred percent. I could see more, you know, you were talking about five years. I think five years sounds perfect for Freddie Freeman. I think I I think there's a chance Freddie Freeman's still a productive player at thirty eight. I wouldn't even be shocked. I really wouldn't. He's yeah. such a good hitter, I could see it. Yeah. Uh, it's, you don't lose the ability to hit. No. You just get older and you and you get slower. Unless you're Chris Davis, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, no, but if you're like, Chris Davis was never the caliber no, hitter. Like, no, no, the, no, the no. consistent hitter. No. A ton of power. He, he, but he, his max was like 286 it, that year in 2013. Right. Freddie Freeman, 286 people would consider that a down year. Right. I, I, For, believe, I believe his high is 319. We do have a call coming in. That might be Chip Carey right now. Um, but yeah, so Fred, Freddie Freeman is certainly one of those guys that you want to have... Um, that you that you want to have, and if you're going to give a guy who's 32 going, 
Zach, we can take him. We can take him. You want to go right now and risk? All right, we've we've got Chip Carey on the line. He just he just gave us a call back. Zach, do me a favor, text Dan, tell him we got to push back about ten minutes. Um, so joining us now. Uh, on the bat around, we have the broadcaster for Bally Sports Southeast. He covers the Atlanta Braves. Chip Carey. Chip, how are you this morning? Hey, I'm great. Good morning. Sorry I missed your call earlier. My fault. No, quite all right. Qu- quite all right. We were actually just in the middle of talking about the Braves World Series run. Uh, Chip, for the Braves, it was their first World Series since 1995, only the second since the franchise moved to Atlanta. What does this mean for the city of Atlanta? Uh, validation, I think. You guys all know the narrative about Atlanta and Georgia and Southeastern sports. You know, uh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Uh, we all remember 28-3 to 3 and the like. We know about the Braves, quote, end quote, only winning one World Series when they had the 14 straight division championships. Right. Uh, I, I think uh, this, in, in concert with the Atlanta United soccer uh, title from a year ago, the Braves winning, the Hawks uh, advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and the narrative of Atlanta sports always being second place or third place uh, organizations is kind of going by the boards, which is great. And from the Braves' perspective, uh, they're really thrilled for obvious reasons. They won the World Series. They have a tremendous dynamic core of young talent. And they have a chance now with four straight division championships and a World Series to boot to really put a stranglehold on the National League East and elevate themselves to one of the elite teams in our sport. So uh, to your point, it's great on all uh, all aspects, all points. And as we said, the present's fantastic. The future is going to be even more bright. And that's why the region's so excited about this team. Yeah. And the thing about the Braves, what they did, they were below 500 the morning of August 6th. At the trade deadline, they went out and they, they brought back Adam Duvall. They brought back they brought Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson. Now, when a team's under 500 at the deadline, in any, just about any other division in baseball, they're probably sellers. But the Braves found themselves in the NL East where no team was really particularly running away with things. And they looked at it and they said, hey, we have an opportunity still to win this division. Let's go make a run at this thing. How, how What's that? Yeah, I was going to say, that's exactly right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, quite all right, quite all right. That, and that, that's exactly what they did. They went out and they, they traded for those four guys. They brought them in. And then you see Rosario is your NLCS MVP. Jorge Soler is your World Series MVP. Where does those that flurry of moves at the deadline rank all time when you consider the impact that those guys had and how that ended up bringing the Braves World Series championship? I'd have to say they're at the top of the list because <clears> – <throat> Some of the other acquisitions they made didn't get them there. So you, know, you have to say uh, that that was r- remarkable work from Alex. Um, look, Rosario was hurt when we got him. Uh, nobody knew what he was going to do because he hadn't played and it took him a month to get back into the lineup. And once he got into the lineup, he never uh, lost control of that starting spot. Um, to your point about where the Braves were, yeah, uh, they were under 500. It took them 109 games to get over 500 at one point. Uh, but they were within four games of the divisional lead against the Mets and Phillies, who really had a chance to bury the Braves in April, May, and June, and didn't. And we said that on the broadcast a lot, that there will come a time where those teams rue the day that they could not take advantage of a crippled and wounded and less than in full-strength Braves team. They didn't do those things, and the Braves surged back and played 667 baseball from August 1st until the end of the season. Think about that. Uh, the Braves only ended up with 88 wins, which I think was the lowest number of wins of any of the playoff teams yeah. in the major leagues this year. But if you look at the pace of play that they were on from August 1 until the end of the year, including the playoffs, they were basically a 109-pace uh, win team. And that's how they won the World Series. 
and rolled through the playoffs. They got hot at the right time. They got confident at the right time, and they got healthy at the right time. So all of those things created that magical harmonic convergence that uh, resulted in them carrying the commissioner's trophy down Peachtree Street last night. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and Freddie Freeman even made that point in the postgame after game six. He said, from August on, we were the best team in baseball. He had a home yeah, run there. Yeah, you can make that point. Yeah, he's right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. He he had a home run there. He's the heart and soul of that of that Braves team. I don't think there's any question about that. Hits the home run there late um, to really pad that lead in Game 6. Um, the game was pretty much already decided, but it was a World Series home run nonetheless. He's been the face of the franchise since 2009. How special is this for Freddie Freeman, and how special is he to the Atlanta Braves and their fan base? Well, I can't answer the first one, uh, first question, because I'm not Freddie Freeman. I'll just speak to this as a fan of his and a guy that's been around the team a long time, heck, half of my broadcasting life. I would say that it's incredible validation. Uh, as he has said numerous times, he's been a member of the organization since he was a 17-year-old chubby-cheeked kid that uh, teamed up with Jason Hayward in the low minor leagues and sort of rose through the system together and got to the big leagues together. And when you put in all that work, when you are – given a big contract in the midst of a, a teardown and rebuild where you don't know how it's really going to go and you're losing 95, 97 games year after year, uh, to get to the pinnacle like he and his teammates did has to be incredibly rewarding because of all the hard work and all the sacrifice that he and his family and everybody else made to stay behind him and behind this team. And what does he mean for the franchise? Well, yeah, he's an iconic player. I hope he stays. I don't know if he will. He's a free agent. Um, you know, they've not come to terms quite obviously. And anytime a player has the opportunity to test free agency, you have to worry about that. Um, but Freddie has been consistent in saying his heart is in Atlanta. His heart is with this team. The Braves want to re-sign him. Hopefully they'll be able to do that. But until they do, you always have to wonder if indeed he's going to stay. But saying that, if he does, I think he's on pace to have his number retired here. I think he's on pace to end up in Cooperstown. And I think, as you said, he's on pace to go down as one of the iconic faces of the Braves franchise, which has a, a whole host of baseball stars in, in the uh, yeah. the galaxy of legends that we've been so blessed to watch over these many decades. Chip, Paul and I were talking about a few minutes on the show, how uh, a few minutes ago on the show, how important first base defense is. It really is undervalued, and people don't realize just how important this position is to be played well. And Freddie Freeman is one of the best defenders in in baseball at the position, what does his defense bring to this team and how much of a difference do you think it actually makes? Uh, huge. Uh, I think you're exactly right. I think that's where analytics and defensive metrics, as much as I don't understand them to a certain degree, has really helped people evaluate the position. You know, in the old days, I mean, think back to your Little League days. They put the out-of-shape kid behind the plate. They put the kid that can't throw in, in left field, and they put the next chubbiest kid at first base and said, try to catch everything that's thrown to you. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's, a much, it's a much more... Uh, important defensive position than it has ever been because of all the shifting that takes place. The, the defensive responsibilities of that guy, when you've got three defenders on the third base side of the bag, that's a lot of territory a first baseman has to be able to handle. The importance of making good throws to the pitcher so he can get to the bag, knowing how to do that, being able to get to the ball, uh, handling line drives from pull hitters from the left side of the plate, all of those things add up, not to mention Freddie's ability to save throwing errors. Let's be honest, Ozzie Albies has kind of a scattershot arm. Dansby Swanson has a good arm, but it's not the strongest. And Austin Riley maybe has the strongest arm uh, of those three names I mentioned. But sometimes in the early part of the season, he was one to launch one into the camera well. So having a big 6'5 target over there 
saved those guys a lot of errors. And I'm sure from their standpoint, it allowed them to be a little more aggressive in how they feel to the baseball, make a dive, make a leaping try, and get it close to first because Freddie's going to catch it. And by and large, he was able to do that. I'm proud he's a gold glove finalist. He's the only Braves first baseman ever to win a gold glove in Atlanta. And I feel pretty confident that he's in line for another one this year to go along with that World Series ring. We're joined by Chip Carey, Atlanta Braves broadcaster, Bally Sports Southeast. He's joining us here on the Bat Around this morning. Chip, Adam Duvall on Thursday declined his half of the $7 million mutual option he has with the Braves, which means he'll receive a $3 million buyout. This is a really interesting case because he's only six years in the league, so he is still arbitration eligible, and he's set to receive $9.1 million through that process, which is obviously the reason why he declined his half of the mutual option. Are the Braves intent on picking that up, or are they going to try and move on from Adam Duvall again? I don't know. I think a lot of that depends on what Freddie Freeman's price tag is. Obviously, they're going to have to do some work in the bullpen. Uh, they've got to find a backup catcher, uh, who that's going to be behind Travis Darno. They've got some options internally, perhaps, to take care of that. Uh, you know, you've got to wonder, okay, uh, how stable is the pitching staff? You know, you have Morton, Freed, Anderson. You hope to get Soroka back at some time. And then you've got a whole bunch of guys to, to filter through with regards to that. Um, You also have to wonder what will be the outcome of Marcel Ozuna's situation next year. He is still under contract. He's on administrative leave. He is not suspended. As of now, he's being paid, and he hasn't played since late May. Uh, If there's any kind of suspension for him, obviously that portion of his salary comes off the books, but then you have to have a body and production to replace him. You know, Ronald Acuna Jr., his salary jumps from $5 million to $15 million next year. He's probably not going to be available in the early days of the season. And then you've got to figure out what to do with center field. So, again, for the Braves this year, who, to use a hockey term, uh, changed on the fly with their outfield three separate times, they've got to really figure out who can who they can afford to keep and who they want to keep. Uh, for me, I don't know how you walk away from what Soler and Rosario did, especially if we're going to have a DH. But if you have those two guys and you bring Ozuna back, can Ozuna play left field for any meaningful amount of time? Don't know. When's Acuna going to come back? Don't know. So the challenge for Alex Anthopoulos is not just financial, but trying to figure out which pieces of the puzzle will be available to him first and foremost. But then secondly, how do those pieces fit together, both on the field, in the clubhouse, and on the bank book? And uh, obviously that work is beginning today for him because of those guys that he acquired were huge contributors for the team, Duval included. Um, I I just don't know if, uh, if or how, uh, they're going to be able to fit all of those guys onto this roster. We'd love to keep them, I'm sure, but uh, that's the challenge that Alex is going to have, and we'll know the answer to that in the days and weeks ahead. Well, absolutely. And a, a lot of teams are facing similar scenarios as the Braves, and every team is facing the scenario that the collective bargaining agreement expires uh, December 1st. And while we still have you, uh, finally, the, the last thing we're going to ask you here, Chip, is what kind of optimism do you have that a new deal is going to get done, and what impact does not having a deal have on not just the Braves, but every team's moves that they're going to make this offseason. It'll have a huge impact on everybody's moves because you can't do anything. You can't put your team together, and every day past December 1, that clock ticks, means you're moving closer towards spring training being delayed, the season being delayed, et cetera, et cetera. My own personal feeling as a fan, I think it would be utter and abject stupidity and and absolute uh, executive irresponsibility if both the players and owners can't come to an agreement. There's so much money in the game right now that everyone is getting wealthy. Uh, We have to figure out how to work out the gambling aspect of it. We've got to figure out how to get younger players to the league faster and paid better. I agree with all of that, but the the owners have to uh, be – 
protected and that they don't want to lose their best players three or four years into their uh, careers as opposed to the six or seven that takes now. So there's a lot of heavy lifting that has to be done, especially in light of the fact that we're just now coming out of a pandemic. When you think about where baseball was one year ago from today, uh, the Braves were watching at home and the Dodgers were finishing off the uh, Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series in front of 20,000 people in a neutral site ballpark in Arlington, Texas, where there was no atmosphere and very little excitement. Yeah. Uh, we just came off a World Series in Atlanta and Houston where the crowds were jacked, packed houses, people going crazy, and a real entertaining showcase of our young stars. I, I, I always say the first responsibility of players and owners alike is to the fans and protecting the game. Their interests have to be secondary or tertiary, and hopefully that'll be the case. And I'm optimistic they'll come to some sort of agreement. Yeah, there'll be some bumps in the road, but I'm really encouraged by the fact that none of these negotiations seemingly have leaked out in public, which means there's a lot of work being done behind closed doors, rightfully so, and hopefully progress will be made and we can get started uh, when pitchers and catchers are due to report in mid-February next year. He is the voice of the Atlanta Braves and hopefully the voice of reason for this new CBA. Chip, thank you so much for taking some time for us this morning. We certainly My pleasure, guys. It. I appreciate it. Thank you, million. Have a great one. Take care. You too. Thanks. And that was Chip Carey from the Atlanta Braves, kind enough to join us this morning. I'm so glad that he called in because he's, he's a great interview, and I was I was happy to get him to agree to come. I, on the show yeah, this I morning. agree. So, oh uh, yeah, that that was Chip Carey joining us. Really appreciative of him. We got to hit our first break. When we come back, we're gonna hopefully have Stan the Fan Charles on the line for his weekly segment. Hey, it's KZ. The Pressbox Fantasy Football Show is back, as always, on Thursdays. You can catch it at 1130. We're brought to you this year, CCBC and Glory Days Grill. You can catch the show two ways, Facebook.com slash Sports or PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. The slash radio is if you want to listen. On Facebook is if you actually want to see my ugly face. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. DFS, daily lineups, keepers, all kinds of fun stuff. Please tune in, Pressbox Fantasy Football Show every Thursday, 11.30 a.m. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Maryland, this is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career? Or maybe you want an IT certification. CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field. And it's all tuition free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy their award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings. Or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $6.99 burgers on Mondays and $5.99 nachos on Thursdays. And watch football on their big screens every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Dine in and let us serve you or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. 
Hey guys, it's Paul Valley, and there's a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as I've joined Glenn every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon. There will be some changes, but what won't change is the absolute best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you, very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mountcastle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Coach Mark Turgeon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. You can watch us live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Once again, this season, PressBox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune into Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Rita joins Glenn tomorrow after the game with Minnesota and Baltimore. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. PressBox is Project Game Day. Every game day presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. Zach's trying to get Stan on the line for us here. Again, the Orioles done a ton of roster reshuffling here, getting the 40-man roster down to 27 players. So some of the ways they did it were surprising. Pedro Severino put on waivers, cleared an elected free agency. The writing's kind of been on the wall with Pedro Severino. He wasn't a great defensive catcher. Um, the offense was really, really, really abysmal the first half of the year. He came on solidly in the second half, but it wasn't enough to make up for what I consider to be overall a subpar season for Pedro Severino. They weren't going to pay him a massive raise in arbitration. It just wasn't going to happen, especially when you factor in that Adley Rutschman is going to be here, if not on opening day, then shortly thereafter. Again, the writing on the wall for Pedro Severino, not even uh, not even kept on the 40-man roster and tried to trade. They just put him on waivers. He cleared, and he, re- he refuses outright assignment and elect- elected free agency. So, Pedro, thanks for your uh, contributions to the Baltimore Orioles over the last three or four years, and we wish you luck wherever you end up. Um, unfortunately, we were unable to get Stan. Hopefully, like Chip, he gives us a call back in. But until then, we're just going to keep talking uh, talking Orioles. Now, look, the same thing was done with Chris Ellis and Marcos Diplom, mm-hmm. where they were put on waivers, they cleared, they refused their outright assignment, they mm-hmm. elected free agency. With Ellis, again, we talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the show, 249 ERA and six starts yeah, at the end of the I, year. I, the was su- I was surprised. I'll that was a guy I expected to keep a roster spot. Yeah, me too. Look, Chris Ellis, I he's one of those pieces that just screams depth piece to me. He mm-hmm. doesn't I, I mean he doesn't seem like a guy who's gonna be here He's in not a world beater, he, but he, right. But to not to not keep him after a two point four nine ERA, I'm a little bit surprised at that. Yeah, the, the Orioles pitching staff was just under six runs a game. Right. Last year. Uh, to not keep that guy just to again. Zach and I aren't looking at Chris Ellis as a world beater. No, we're not looking no, no, at no, no, him no. as the next John Means. Right, but we're looking at him as a guy who, in a terrible year for the Baltimore Orioles, that saw them mm-hmm. lose 110 games, was serviceable. He was good. At one point, he had a one-hit shutout through five or six innings against, I believe, against the Tampa Bay Rays. He was a pitcher worth 
taking another look at to lose a ro- to have him not on the roster anymore. Is that Stan? We have him. All right, to not have him anymore on the roster is a little bit surprising to me. With that in mind, we do have Stan the fan joining us on the line here. Stan, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well. Thanks for agreeing to push back a little bit. Chip uh, ran a little late and called us right as we were That's about to okay. call you. Well, how much time do we have just so I know going into it? Uh, we can do about 20 minutes. We can do, okay. about, we can okay. do about 20 minutes. Just yeah. wanted to know. So we're talking yeah. about the Orioles' um, roster reshuffling, Stan. And, yeah. Um, Basically, they they put Pedro Severino on waivers. He cleared, mm-hmm. and he elected free agency. The writing has right. kind of been on the wall with Severino, as I was just talking yeah. about. He was going to be non-tendered yeah. anyway. This move, not too surprising, right? Not to me, no. Yeah. Now, with that, in I mind, mean, we've all been we've all been pretty much in agreement. When, when you're as bad as the Orioles are. You know this this notion that these players that you know that are getting away are somehow tragic or, or big losses. They're not. Yeah. You know? I mean, Pedro Severino was not going to be a part of the future. Uh, I think you know Brandon Hyde probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he liked the guy, but you can't like the way he received the ball. Right. He, he's just absolutely awful. So, no big loss there. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. And yeah, one one of the losses I think was kind of a big loss was Chris Ellis, two forty nine ERA in six starts for the Orioles towards the end of the year. If nothing else, he looked dependable. This was a bad baseball team, Stan. There's no getting around it. And yep. he at the end of the year was a bit of a bright spot. When you saw him take the ball at the end of that season, you thought the Orioles had a chance, which you couldn't really say most of the rest of the season. Yeah, were you surprised I, that I, they took him off the roster? Yes, I'm surprised they took him off the roster. I'm sure they have some thought process behind it, but uh, because you know, I know Mike is is Mike Elias is pretty calculating, so I don't know exactly what the reasons. Haven't had a chance to talk to him. Don't know when I will, but uh, that would certainly be one of the first questions I would ask him because he was a brief bright spot unless the health situation is such that they think they're going down a, uh, you know, sort of a one-way street there. Maybe. It's it's factors that remain to be seen. And, you know, he did elect free agency, which means he could be back. I assume. Yeah, it he, doesn't mean he can't become an Oriole again. Yeah, yeah, I assume he'll get offers from other teams. But if not, the Orioles could always bring him back. So it's not a closed yeah. door yet. Hunter Harvey was another one that surprised me. I'm surprised that they tried to get him to clear waivers. They almost got it done. The Giants claimed him with the 28th waiver claim. Um, yeah. Look, I get it. He was often injured, but the Orioles had team control. He was pre-arbitration eligible, and this is a team that is hurting for bullpen arms. Again, we know the injury history, but do you feel like it was yeah. worth at least another look while he was still under that much team control? I got to be honest with you. I uh, wrote a column back when he went down in late April or early May. I can't that the that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. You know. Uh, that was the basic theme of that, and that means that uh, you know you, you've sort of you've exhausted just about every opportunity to get him to do something meaningful for you. Don't wish anything. The kid's a nice kid, uh, hardworking kid. I hope he I hope he tears it up with the Giants, but that doesn't mean that that would have been the right thing for the Orioles to do. They've they've essentially what they draft him in fourteen, I think thirteen, thirteen. 13. 
I mean, that's eight seasons. Yeah. You know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, hoping, you know, that you'll get a different result for a team like the Giants that, uh, you know, he's got, he's still got an upside, although it can't be viewed as big as it once was, but he's still got an upside and they aren't repeating the same mistake. So if they get fortunate and get the one season of great health out of him, then they'll have a nice uh, add-on to their bullpen. To me, the Hunter Harvey situation always just screamed hype over anything else because he was a guy that was drafted in the first round, and he was a guy that Orioles fans, you know, kind of, I guess, grabbed onto because he was one of the better prospects in 2013 that the Orioles had because they didn't have a lot of depth back then. Um, But do you see the situation similar to, to what could happen with, you know, or with, I should say what did happen with a guy like Mike Ustremski, Kevin Gosman, two Orioles cast-offs, really, that became really good with the Giants. Do you think that situation could, could replicate itself? Well, it's an, it's an, first of all, it's an entirely different situation. Sure. This is one clearly born out of pure just the health that the Orioles kind of got tired. I mean, when you think about it, think about Brandon Hyde. He's had this guy three years mm-hmm. And what has he gotten out of him? Nine you know? innings. So, so I mean, he ends up becoming almost like a liability because you want to start to count on him. And, you know, I would say in the three years, did he get 20 innings out of him at the major league level? I think it was something like he pitched, I think, nine innings. Uh, okay. I, or he had nine appearances. Something I, like I rest yeah. my case. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's not even, uh, again, wish him nothing but the best. Um, you know, his dad was a great, great reliever, Brian Harvey. Uh, and that was the big thing about three years ago that they decided when he couldn't stay healthy, Hey, we're going to have him pitch less innings. That way he'll still stay healthy. And it seems like, you know, the one thing about a bullpen arm is while that, that in, it seems like that's true, that calculation, less innings, but there's in a way there's more wear and tear on a relief pitcher getting up and trying to get warm for a game and could he get warm for games, you know, without injuring himself. Um, to me, he became sort of a distraction and something you always had to manage around rather than being the weapon that other teams would have to work mm-hmm. around. Uh, so again, uh, wish him nothing but the best, but it's an entirely such different situation. Kevin Gosman had a couple other missteps in Atlanta and Cincinnati before the Giants took a flyer on them, and they were able to really finally extract what the talent that was there all along. You know, with Gosman, I, I maintain Gosman didn't have injury problems. He had sort of a career of early disruption where they never allowed him to settle in at any level in the minor leagues and really proved that he was ready to go up the next step. Uh, as I've often written and said, they needed him to be a star arm because they weren't going to go out and augment their rotation. So they needed him to suddenly immediately be at least a number three, if not a number two starter. And he never fit the bill because he really wasn't prepared. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing about, building the team the way the Orioles are trying to now is let the the people develop at the pace that their talent will show you their talent versus the level they're at shows you whether they're ready for the next level. 
Absolutely, and with Gossman, as you alluded yep. to, he he was up and down so much early in his career. I feel like that had to have some kind of detriment to his development for sure. Yep. Now, Stan, the I don't think the up and down, I don't think it was the up and down as much as the down never lasted long enough for him to really get settled in at at the down level to prove like with six, seven, eight really good starts in a row. Maybe I'm ready for the next step. They just said, "Oh, we got a we got an injury. We won't pick anybody up. We'll we'll get Kevin Gosman." You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Now the other half of that battery at catcher, the Orioles don't have a catcher on their 40 man yep. roster. Uh, Austin Wins was outrighted, and he accepted. He he elected free agency. Same thing with Nick Chufo. Again, and the same thing with Pedro Severino, as we were just talking about. A lot of people are trying to connect the dots here, Stan, and say that that means Adley Rutschman is your Orioles starting catcher from this day moving forward. Uh, Zach is 75 percent sure that that. Adley's going to start the year as the Orioles' opening day catcher. I'm not so sure about that. I would say I'm greater than 75 percent sure. Where where do you put the odds at, at, at Adley Rutschman being the Orioles' catcher on opening day? And what kind of moves do you think the, do you expect the Orioles make to get some catchers on this roster this offseason? season? Um, I'm I'm probably on the uh, 80 85 percent. You know that he's going to be the the, the catcher on opening day, um, and if not opening day, within the first month. Um, but I, the guy I've been writing about a little bit, I mean, he's not, don't get me wrong, this guy's not a superstar. I love Steven Vogt. Okay, I still do. The left-handed bat, his defense is pretty solid behind the plate, and he's a really, you know, he's a really, he's a good baseball player. Got a good baseball mind. Uh, probably wouldn't cost them more than a million dollars for the year, maybe a million five. Uh, they'd have a nice veteran to team with Rutschman to start the season off, you know, but there'll, there'll be, there'll be one or two other guys that they, you know, bring and maybe Chiafo is one of them, uh, to camp, um, uh, you know, so I'm not really that worried about the catching position. I, I really couldn't in my heart of hearts, I can't pay, uh, Pedro Severino over $3 million. No, know, absolutely to catch, not to absolutely catch my not. pitching staff. You know. Now some, some other moves that the Orioles have to make, it looks like they're pretty set in the outfield. Uh, however, they're going to need somebody to play second base. They're going to need somebody to play shortstop, and they're going to need somebody to play third base. Now, you have guys who are already on the team, like Jorge Mateo and Calvin Gutierrez and uh, Ramon Urias. Which one? Which of these guys do you think has the most staying power? And do you think the Orioles go out and get another shortstop of the ilk of um, a Jose Iglesias or a Freddie Galvis again? Um, I, I'm not which direction they go in you know my gut tells me that while Jorge Mateo and Urias might not be any long-term answers you know the Galvis and Iglesias aren't long-term answers so you're looking probably for a year and a half before you think Zach what do you think the timing is for Henderson to be ready uh, mid two thousand twenty three. Mid two thousand twenty three. Yeah, yeah. Mid to yeah. late. Mid to late. So you're looking. You know, I think you could get. You could look. There's no. Re, there's nothing. I'm not against signing another Galvis guy because you can turn them into something at mid season. But I think Mateo and Urias can probably get you through the next year and a half. You know, uh, Mateo again is a fascinating is a fascinating guy, and maybe he'll be one of the guys, like he'll be our Mike Yastrzemski, you know, that somehow 
we landed upon this guy or he landed with us and he's something a little bit more than, you know, journeyman, you know, uh, his tool set is certainly spectacular. Um, whether he can stay healthy, uh, and whether he can really hit over the long haul, but you got to love the skill set, you know. I'm re- I'm really intrigued by Urias. Uh, he had a positive defensive WAR playing second base for the Orioles. Mm-hmm. The bat plays. You want base percentages there. You would have liked to have seen him finish the year healthy, but even unhealthy, he was being productive down the stretch there. Do the Orioles have yeah, he's something? A nice, here? He's a nice. He's a nice little player. My biggest thing about him at short is the durability. There's the, that shortstop position takes an awful lot more out of you than second base. Yeah. So that's why I'm sort of teaming them together, Mateo, and saying maybe get a second baseman that's easier and less expensive to get that can get us through a year. You know. And how about? And clearly, I think Gutierrez. They're going to want to take a look at him. You know. Um, it was a very small sample at the end of the year. You started, everybody started wondering, well, can the guy really hit and can he hit with some power? And he had two or three games in a row where he showed a little something in that regard, but it was clearly too small a sample size to say, Hey, he's, he's the guy we want to rest our laurels on, you know, for the next couple of years. I, I, I think he's got the inside track going into spring training to be the Orioles' starting third baseman. If for nothing else, the defense was so spectacular from him. His in. defense was, you know, and I have to, I talked to Ben McDonald early upon uh, when the Orioles got him, and I, I, I took it upon myself. I said, Ben, I've heard you talking about his defense being really good. I said, I watched him because, you know, again, I play fantasy baseball. Mm-hmm. A guy comes up and you want to take a look at him. So I'd watch games at Kansas City. And I saw him make three three plays that were just absolutely horrible at third base. I sort of said, Ben, I'm telling you, you can't play. About two, three weeks later, I said to Ben, I said, Ben, I got to correct myself. The, kid's, the kid is playing some terrific defense. So, you know, um, you know, one of the things about me when I'm wrong, um, I'll admit it. And uh, he's a solid defender. And sometimes spectacular. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, it's another small sample size, right? We saw about a month and a half, maybe two months out of Kelvin Gutierrez at third base. Everything we saw, the arm, the glove, uh, looked really good. And like you said, the bat came alive towards the end of the year there. But again, a really small sample size. So we'll see how that goes with Kelvin Gutierrez. Now, the Orioles have a ton more of things that they had to do with this roster, Stan. First and foremost, they got it down to 27 men on the 40-man roster. They have to bring back Keegan Aiken, Jorge Mateo, Jorge Lopez, and DJ Stewart from the 60-day IL. Is DJ Stewart a candidate to be released, especially we consider the outfield depth in this organization? Well, um, I, I think he's a candidate. I think they're kind of on the fence on what to do with that. I think, you know, again, he is, and let's admit it, he's, he was a flop as a number one pick, but he was a number one pick at one time, which means his skill set had to be pretty, you know, pretty attractive at the time he was drafted. Uh, it hasn't panned out that way, but I think they probably are a little afraid of the Mike, Yast- repeating the Mike Yastrzemski thing with him, yeah. that suddenly he's with Cincinnati and he pounds 25 home runs, and they look kind of, what the hell were they thinking, you know? Um, 
there's just, I don't know quite what it is about his timing because he seems to be on the pitch. His head seems to be in there. It's not like he's looking away or pulling out or something, but he misses a lot of balls. You know, he's right on them, but whether it's uh, he's above them, below them, um, my eyes aren't that, you know, exacting to tell what's wrong. But but you've got to like the skill set he has about being able to get on base. And if he could just hit, you know, if he could just hit 240 or 250 and give you some of that power and that on-base ability, you know, you're looking at a guy that's like a 360, 360 on-base percentage if he hits 250, you know. Yeah. So, but he hasn't really come that close to 250 yet. I, my gut tells me he's back next year, um, you know, because I don't think the dollars, it's not like he's up in the $3 million range. He's probably a million seven, something like that, you know, million eight. Yeah, I, um, I, I wouldn't hate to see him uh, in the organization next year, but I'd like to see him start a triple A and kind of have to re-earn his way back up to the major league level. When this guy get, When this guy gets cold, he stays cold for a long time. And it's it's very yeah. frustrating to watch because you know the power is there. If the, if he played 140 games, I think he would be a 25 homer guy, and I think he would get on base at about a 350, 360 clip. But the batting average is just so so low. He goes yeah. in these laws where he sw- he can't hit a fastball. Um, would love to see him start at Norfolk and earn his way back up to the roster. Yeah, my I I hear you on that. My gut would tell me that we'd watch him at at Norfolk, and you'd go, okay, he's ready. And he'd come up, and he's not playing every day. And he's not, you know, he's probably a guy with sort of his his size that he would be helped by playing every day. His his timing would be much better, and he's not he's proven not proven to be good enough to play every day. So it's going to be a catch twenty two. He's got to do a better job at uh, facing right handers because that's what he's going to face. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Now, before we let you go, Stan, finally, the Orioles, we were talking about how Hunter Harvey is now a giant. They're, they've lost some bullpen. If you can consider them bullpen depth, they've lost some bullpen depth. Um, Darren O'Day is a free agent. Is this the type of bullpen help the Orioles should be going after this offseason? Not, not in my book, no. No? I mean, to me, he's a 39-year-old version of Hunter Harvey. You know? Okay, that's fair enough. You know, yeah. Um He's a one-time great Oriole uh, whose body has betrayed him. Um, a lot of these submarine-style pitchers, the one thing, it, it, it takes less out off of your shoulder. You don't have the same stress on your shoulder, but it's not unusual to see those guys with the unique delivery they have have lower body issues, and that's been sort of what his issues have been the, the past three, four seasons, you know. Paul, I know you've had some personal issues with him, but I think Ryan Zapera is a perfect ad for the Orioles this year. Uh, Stan, what do, you, what do you think about that? Um, I think he'll be too costly um, for for what they're looking for. So he made know? he made eight hundred k this past year, um, and he put up you know a sub three ERA, uh, one point eight WAR, and if you look well, at if, if, if he, you look at his, you know, I mean. If you look at his- I, I guess he'd be looking for. I'm guessing he'll take a one-year contract at two million. Um, That's what I would. But, I he would could go, po- yeah. but he could possibly command a two-year deal at five and a half or six, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably prices him out of the Oriole range. Although, 
again, you make a good point. I mean, he is the kind of guy you need. He's like a plus version of Adam Plutko, you know, uh, that can be used in a multitude of different roles, but get, but get the job done. You know, the guy they need is one or two of what Adam Plutko looked like in the month of April yeah, for them mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm, you for know. sure. Yeah, the, the yeah. Orioles certainly need a lot of help on this pitching staff. We'll see how that goes in this offseason. Yeah. We'll see what happens with the CBA if, the, if things freeze before they can make a move here. Stan, thanks for agreeing right. to, uh, to push back this week. We certainly appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right? Anytime, thanks, guys. Anytime. I'll talk to you. Bye. All right. Take care. And that was Stan the Fan Charles joining us again for his weekly segment, albeit a little bit later than usual this weekend. Stan the Fan has two great shows for you every week, and like everything else in the world, they're happening over Zoom. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan and Ross uh, chatted with former Orioles manager Dave Trembley, while Stan also took a deeper dive into the sports betting crisis in Maryland with Bill Ordeen from Gambling.com and Pat. Evans from LegalSportsReport.com. Find these these shows under the videos tab at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports or at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Coming up this Monday, you won't want to miss it. When Stan and Ross chat with former Orioles, with Orioles Hall of Famer and former shortstop Mike Bordick, the show is Ooh. live at 6 p.m. We, we got to get Bordy on here. That would be a great guest. I would guess. love to get Bordy on here. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send out a message to the Orioles and see if we can yeah, get him. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I, I, a lot of people don't like him for whatever reason. I guess oh, I like Because of, of the nicknames like The Crusher and The, yeah, that the was Turbo little... Change. <laughs> something like that. But I'll, I'll t- I like Mike Bordick. Mike Bordick is a really genuine guy, and he knows baseball so well. Yeah. So and, well. And I enjoyed watching him play. Mm-hmm. Like It takes a special kind of player to, begin, time. To, to get Cal Ripken to move from shortstop to third base. Fair, yeah. You know, yeah. You know and, and Cal was willing to do it for Mike Bordick, and then he right. comes in and breaks Cal's uh, consecutive inning streak yeah. without an error record. So it, it's like Mark Belanger level defense. Very, I mean, he was just a really not, not quite as maybe flashy. not quite yeah, not quite okay. as flashy. Fair. If you if you hit the ball in Bordick's range, you were out. He was going to get it. He yeah. wasn't going to throw yeah. it away. He wasn't going to boot it. So we'll compare him to J.J. Hardy. Yeah, it, he and J.J. Hardy, I, I think that's a fair comparison. They're, they're not going to make those plays where he's diving in the hole 15 feet from third base and he gets up and throws it from one knee from the outfield grass and throws you out. But you hit the ball in his range, you're done. You're not, you're not getting on base. And I, I think that, that that's understated for a shortstop. I think that's incredibly important because you can see all the— Richie Martin makes— Flashy play after flashy play, but then he'll boot a routine yeah. ground ball. Yeah. So, I mean, he has negative defensive war. Yeah. So, uh, look, we got to get a second break. When we come back, Zach's going to do uh, sounding off, and then we're going to get some Orioles banter. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out PressBoxOnline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Taz Bowser show. The next Taz Bowser show is Tuesday, November 16th at Mother's in Timonium. It's brought to you by Pressbox and Great Eights Memorabilia. 
Come in for Glory Burgers, Glory Wings. There's glory for everyone at Glory Days Grill. Enjoy their award-winning burgers, ribs, and wings, or try our fresh salads, hand-cut salmon, or our scrumptious sandwiches. Yum! Come in for our daily specials every weekday, like $6.99 burgers on Mondays and $5.99 nachos on Thursdays. And watch football on their big screens every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Dine in and let us serve you or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and take it home. Visit us at glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. The biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out. Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. The great Kurt Angle. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks, man. The champ, Drew McIntyre. Thank you for having me. The great Ron Simmons. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Welcome back to the Bat Around here on a lovely, albeit cold, Saturday morning. Zach, we were just talking about fantasy football and the Ken Zalas, the the fantasy football show with Ken Zalas, mm-hmm. and uh, how I've gone like seven and one in the last two weeks with my four teams. Um, it's really the only way that you can kind of bet on sports at all right now in Maryland because again, the they had another meeting this past week. It took a major hit. Sports betting took a major hit again. We don't know when when things are going to happen. It seems like Maryland's always behind everybody else in seemingly everything these days. But look, if you're just as disappointed as we are, the betting still isn't in place in Maryland, but you want to win some money on fantasy football, you can do it legally. And we're going to give you some free money to play with, uh, thanks to our friends at Underdog Fantasy Football. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Use the code PRESSBOX, and whatever you download, up to $100, we will match. That's right, up to $100 when you use the code PRESSBOX. So if you want to go in there and you're like, you know what? I just want to bet $2.12. 
PressBox is going to match you $2.12. You want to bet $837, PressBox is going to give you $100. So if you put anything up to $100, PressBox will match you. It is a huge, a huge deal that PressBox is collaborating with Underdog Fantasy Football with. Underdog not only has daily and season-long fantasy contests, but also prop bets and fun parlay games where you can win every week this season. And it's not just football. Well, now it is because baseball is over. Um, so you go to PressBoxOnline.com fantasy, click the Underdog logo, deposit your $10, and get your $10 free, or use the code PressBox at UnderdogFantasy.com and have fun winning money with PressBox and Underdog. Zach, you want to sound off. Um on something about uh, foreign players that are being posted and whether the Orioles should be putting money down on them. Yeah, so, look, we, we all kind of know where the Orioles are as an organization and where they are in signing free agents. We know they're not going to go out and sign the Carlos Correas of the world at $300 million. And, look, even with these guys that are being posted in the international market, I'm not going out here right now and saying the Orioles are going to do this or even that they should do this at the money he might command. I'm saying right now that the Orioles should be looking into international players that are being posted from than uh, the NPP, which is the the uh, professional baseball league in Japan, um, they should look at these players that are having these incredible successes and at least consider it, at least make a pitch. So one of the biggest guys right now that just got posted, uh, Seiya Suzuki. He's an outfielder who has belted uh, just you know just in 2020 hit 38 home runs um, or 2021, excuse me, 38 home runs. He's a guy that is consistently one of the best players in the Japanese baseball league, and he's a guy that's now coming to the U.S. to play. Um, you know, and, and usually the Orioles are never in this market. This is not something they go after. They never went after Otani. Dan Duquette said on the radio that they never even made a pitch. They never considered it, um, and probably more because of Peter Angelus than because of Dan Duquette. But the way it goes for the Orioles is generally they stay away from this market. But to me, if you have a chance to at least consider to try to get a talent like Seiya Suzuki, and again, I have no idea what kind of contract he's going to command. This guy might get $80 million. I have no clue. Nobody really has. Really, nobody knows at this point. But at least make a pitch. Make an effort to go get a guy. Because, if it, it, look, he's an outfielder. I get it. The Orioles don't need them. They have that wealth. But if you can get a guy who is as ultra-talented as this guy is supposed to be, and everyone says he is, you got to at least make the effort. I want to see the Orioles involved in this. I want to see them saying, hey, you know, come play for us. We may not be able to offer you as much as, as, the, you know, as the Dodgers, but we want you here. We think you could be a valuable piece. At least give it a shot. If it's out of your price range, it's out of your price range. But there's no harm and at least trying. So you want to you want to know that the Orioles were there. Right, exactly. You want to know that they took part and that they gave it the old college try. Yes. Even yes. If they, it, so does that mean that you want them to make an offer or you want them to be there it, and it, at least consider it? So it depends on the price range. If his price range, say this guy is, is in the $50 million price range, I would make an offer. Um, but if he's $100 million price range, the Orioles are not going to do that. We know that. Um, but if it's a reasonable price, if it's right right value for the right price, I think it, it makes sense to at least make an offer. But even even if you don't, you know, even if you don't think you can make an offer, at least be there initially and trying to and, and trying to gauge that market a little bit. Just just try to try to make an effort here is my point. Well, oh, I, I see what you're saying. I understand it. I get it. Mm-hmm. I think if it was more, and hear me out on this, okay. if it was more position of need, I'd be more so standing on Fair. On, on my soapbox like you are. Um, but the Japan League, the the, the MPB, the mm-hmm. KBO, these are basically like double A. They are. They are. Right? Yeah. 
So when you factor that in and you factor in how much money these guys are likely to command, and then you look at the Orioles and you look at what they have in double A and triple A, and you look at who's coming, who's probably going to make double A next mm-hmm. year. Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom, mm-hmm. Colton Kalzer, Hudson Haskin. You look at these guys, and that's before we even mention a guy like Zach, like um, Zach Watson. Sure. Um, you look at these guys, and you say, "Well, is this guy definitely better than what we already have?" No idea. Exactly. No idea. And if you love what you have in your system, and look, none of these guys are guaranteed to work out. No. Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom, Colton Kalsner, none of them are guaranteed. We're pretty sure about them, right? Right. But none of them are guaranteed. But the same can be said. What's this player's name again? Seiya Suzuki. Seiya Suzuki. The same can be said about Seiya Suzuki. That he was great over in Japan, but not maybe not the same player over here in America. I mean, sure. look no further than Hansu Kim, right? Uh, he was serviceable, not the player he was in the KBO. For, for me, if I'm the Orioles, why am I going to spend $50 million? If that's what he costs. If that's what he costs. However many million mm-hmm. on a guy who has just as much a likelihood of making the Major League roster being an impact player as any three of the four guys I, I mentioned um, that the Orioles already have in their system. So I, I like where your head's at, and I would love to see the Orioles be, be in on place, but it's got to be the right player. I don't want to see the—I don't need to see the Orioles go out and make a move on a player or at least look like they're willing to make a move on a player just so that they can show me they're willing to make a move. Right player? Okay. I'm not sure that Seiya Suzuki is the right guy. So, I think where my argument comes from is that when Dan Duquette went on the radio and said that the Orioles didn't make a pitch, right? I was, you know, I, and I, I, I like Dan Duquette as a GM, and I think that comes from Peter Angelos, not Dan Duquette. Oh, I, I, I don't think there's any question. I think if Peter Angelos said, yeah. "Hey, go give Shohei Otani a hundred million over five years," Dan right. Duquette would have been like, "All right, checkbooks open." Right. So, you know, Dan Duquette was just a a voice for Peter Angelos at that point. So I'm not blaming Dan Duquette for this, but he went, you know, he went on the radio and said the Orioles did not make a pitch for Shohei Otani. And it's, it's it wasn't entirely surprising, but the Orioles were trying to compete in, tw- in 2018. They went in with the mindset that they were going to compete. They kept Manny Machado on that roster. They kept Jonathan Scope. They signed multiple guys. They went in looking to compete. Why not try to get Shohei Otani at that point? So for me, I want to see. I don't want to see Michael Elias go on the radio and say, "No, nah, we didn't even make a pitch to say a Suzuki." At least be there. At least try. That that's more my point here. Well, I want to see the Orioles making a concerted effort to get this done. Did Dan Duquette say this after the fact, like after he was already gone? Yes, it was after the fact. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. I mean, Elias probably wouldn't straight straight up come out and say, we didn't make a pitch. He would probably yeah. say, when we feel that the player that we're making a pitch to is the right player, mm-hmm. we'll consider all options. Yeah. That's something that Mike Elias would say, right? He's a little more, um, he, likes to, he likes to twist the words a little bit around. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll, cons- we'll consider all options is something sure. that Mike Elias <laughs> right, yeah. would say. Um Again, and look, if the Orioles were in the boat where they were an outfielder away from really making a serious run, like, like, hey, look, we have Gunnar Henderson at, at, at third base, and we have, or at shortstop, and we have Jordan Westbrook playing second, and we have Kobe Mayo at third base, and Rutschman's behind the plate, and we just need a right fielder who's going to really hit in the heart of our order, and that's going to put us over the top because we're ready to compete now. Yeah, if they didn't make a pitch to... to Shit. What? What's his name? Gosh, Seiya Suzuki. Seiya, <laughs> I called him. I was gonna call him Shea. Oh, to, oh. <laughs> but they didn't make a pitch to Seiya Suzuki. Yeah, then I'd be upset. Mm-hmm. At this moment in time, if they don't make a pitch to him, 
I 100% understand why. Fair enough. I, I 100% understand why. I don't blame why. you. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of Orioles fans would agree with you. I'm just someone who I look at, you know, it, it's kind of like Odell Beckham on the Ravens. Do the Ravens really need Odell Beckham? No. Do the Orioles really need Seiya Suzuki? Not really. But do they? It, why not add talent if you have the ability to? Yeah, but the, the Ravens are going to have the ability with Odell Beckham because he's got clear waivers. True. And, and they, but they're, say he, they're say like he at were, the bottom say of he, the list. Say he were. That's that's my point. Say say he was just an unrestricted free agent. There were no waivers. There was none of that. And, it, the, and the Ravens could sign him. If nothing else, then to stick it to the Browns, then, then I don't know. Getting off topic here. Maybe a bad uh, example. Uh, but. OBJ is, uh, in my opinion, isn't somebody that the Ravens need. I, I like the Ravens top five in their receiving core right now. But anyway, um, yeah, I get what you're saying, man, because we're such a forlorn fan base. We are so beaten down mm. by by what's happened the majority of our lives with this team that it would be a breath of fresh air to know that they tried. To just be like, yes. oh, they made <sighs> they made an right. offer. That's what I'm saying. Th- like, like a breath of fresh. I get that. I yeah. totally understand where you're coming from. And if they made an offer, I can't fault them for it. But if they don't, I can't fault them for that either. Right player, make an offer. When that happens and they don't do it, or they do do it, that's when I'll stand on my soapbox. Until then, I can't get upset about it. Okay. One, one way or the other. You know what I mean? Uh, now, we do have Brett Hollander coming up in about 15 minutes. He's going to talk about all things. Orioles with us. Really, Brett's a good dude. I'm just really excited yes. to talk with him again. Um, we're doing myriad th- Orioles thoughts here on Orioles banter. Uh, uh, we've talked about it all show long. Hunter Harvey, Pedro Severino, Chris Ellis, Marcus Deplan, who, who haven't really talked about. He pitched in the Futures game. Yeah. Seven scoreless innings. Or seven scoreless outings to start his yeah. Orioles career. His ERA was 450, which isn't great, but it's really good when you look at the rest of that Orioles. I was going to say, right? yeah. yeah. Um, I'm shocked. That, that, that I, I, I don't want to say shocked, but this is a dude who just this past summer yeah. pitched in the Futures game, yeah. and you put him on waivers. Who, I, who, who are you bringing in? This was the really, outside of Chris Ellis, the surprising one to me, that, that Marcos Diplon would be the guy to go. Because I, I don't think Marcos Diplon's a bad pitcher. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's good either, but I don't think he's a bad pitcher. I think you look at the seven scoreless outings and you go, there's a breath of fresh air, similar to what Chris Ellis did. You know, it, it's a breath of fresh air concerning um, the Orioles pitching staff because these are guys that had six ERAs for the majority of the, the entire year. Right. So when you look at a guy and he comes in and gives you a 4-5 ERA, that's not that bad, right? Like that's 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 a quality start. That's better than the, that's three run right. that's six innings of three run ball. That's better than the Orioles' average by one and a half. So yeah. if you're telling me that that's horrible, I disagree with you. And and not not saying that you are, but I'm saying that if if the Orioles were to say use that as their reasoning, I I don't know what the reasoning is. I don't see a point in in Marcos Diplon. It's not like the guy's 35 years old. He's he's you know, 25. He's mid 20s, right? So. To me, this was a very questionable move, probably even more than Chris Ellis, because I think Marcos Diplon could have a role uh, in, the, in, in the Orioles' bullpen if, if they had kept him around. I think he could have had a role. Yeah, I, I, and look, he, he elected free agency. Mm-hmm. They were able to get him, I believe, on a waiver claim a couple of years ago. Yeah, from the Brewers, yeah. Right. So there's obviously a reason for that. And look, the Orioles, are, the, the guys running the team, are smarter than we are. That's oh, why. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they're running the team, right? They, like, like Michael Elias went to Yale. Like, th- th- there's a reason these guys are running. Well, the we team. went to Towson, Paul. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we, hey, hey, man, my, my college degree is as good as yours. No, it's not. I went to Yale. Bro. I don't even have a college degree. Yeah. yet, so you will one day. You'll get soon there. enough. Soon yeah, enough. It, it took me till I was 29, but we'll talk about that another time. Not on the air. Um, uh, but no. This is it, what what's upsetting to me, but I don't even want to say upsetting because I'm not upset. 
what's surprising to me is that the Orioles need arms. Yeah. They need arms. Yeah. Hunter Harvey, you can understand. Because like we said at the beginning of the show, how many off-seasons are you going to spend saying, well, if Hunter Harvey gets right, he's a legitimate piece. I don't even, I don't even he think He never I- gets right. Right. I don't think I even said my piece on this yet because I was uh, we were on the phone with Stan when you were talking about that. But real quick on Hunter Harvey, I don't care. I don't care. He was never going to be anything for this team. The, the guy could never, ever stay healthy. And even if he had, I'm not convinced he would have been a very good pitcher. Well, yeah, the, the, well, yeah because he wasn't pitching well in right. the minors. Right. He, he pitched well to earn a promotion in 2019. Uh, but he wasn't pitching well in the minors. He's been hurt more. He spent more time right. off the field than on it in his in his 20, professional career. Twenty three point two career innings. That's just nothing. That's yeah, eight years. Eight yeah. years. Yeah. Well, eight years he's been in the system. Yeah. But those twenty three point two innings are accrued since twenty nineteen. Yeah. Right. But the fact that he was drafted in the first round in twenty thirteen and didn't make his major league debut till twenty nineteen mm-hmm. and only has twenty three and two thirds innings because of that, that's yeah, you understand that. My whole thing is you need bullpen help. You need arms. He's got a, what people would deem an electric arm. Now, he can't stay healthy, and there's no proof that, that he ever will. Yeah. Um. So I, I like it, I wasn't upset about it, but I was like, it, it was a head-scratcher for me. Chris Ellis is the one I'm upset about because what yeah. he did, and you can say, look, he had six really good, nice starts for the Orioles uh, at the end of the year. And you can say, well, and Marcos Deplan had seven – Scoreless outings. I'll take the starts. I'll take the starts because yeah. you you got thirty innings out of Chris Ellis in mm-hmm. those in those six games, whereas you got seven eight innings out right. of Marcus Deplan. Chris Ellis and he was successful elsewhere. Right. His other start with the Rays, four innings of shutout ball against the Orioles. Now it was against the Orioles, but still, <laughs> uh, to me, Chris Ellis was a head scratcher. Deplan is a head scratcher. There's nothing that's saying that these guys won't be back. No, but. And honestly, they probably will be. I, I have a feeling it could be the Wade LeBlanc situation where he he just re, you know one of them resigns. Um, more, probably maybe you know Chris Ellis. Probably a, maybe. Pro, maybe. All right, we'll we'll go with probably Chris Ellis. He 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 is a guy who's a little bit older and doesn't really have the the prospect track record that Marcos Deplon had. Marcos Deplon was a, a top 100 prospect for a long time. Um, so to me, I would say that Ellis has a greater chance of of returning to the Orioles. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It remains to be seen. That's our that's our that's, motto. That's here. the show. Uh, that's the show. Um, we, we should open with the batter out. It remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that that's not a really high endorsement for our no, show. No, no, um, <laughs> it isn't. Catchers, they have none. None. They have none on the forty man roster. Yeah. Um, they have to protect Brett Cumberland, or he might. I, I don't think he gets taken in the rule five, but they, he he might. Would you really want him? I wouldn't. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he's been around long enough to know. Yeah, you yeah, know, that's I mean, fair. he was. A th- I think he was a third round pick, so he was a third round pick for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, they have Maverick Hanley, who's not ready to be on the roster, yet, and you don't. No. There's no time crunch to get to get him there. But Chufa's gone, Wins is gone, Severino's gone. You traded away Chance Cisco back in May or June. Yeah. Uh, the writing's on the wall that Adley Rutschman's coming, right? And as soon as that new CBA gets put in place, they're adding him to their 40 man yep. roster. It's going to happen. He'll be uh, the. The highlight of spring training, and yep. he, he likely is the, especially with the new CBA, because I think there's gonna be language in there that says, "Hey, you can't do six, seven years with these guys." Right. Uh, with that in mind, I think that he's gonna be on the opening day roster. I agree. Um, but yeah, the the, the writing's on the wall. Now they just really got to go out and get a backup, and you probably need to get signed. You need to sign two catchers for depth purposes, mm-hmm. right? Um, so they they have to do that. 
Again, they have to add Aiken, Jorge Lopez, um, Jorge Mateo, and uh, what's his name? DJ Stewart to the 40-man roster. You're, you have locks in DL Hall, Kyle Bradish, Kevin Smith, yeah. and Taron Vavra for the, the 40-man roster to protect. Then there's the other guys. And let's get into the other guys here. Okay. You have Robert Newstrom, Brett Cumberland, Cody Sedlock, Blaine Knight, Ofelki Peralta, Patrick Dorian, and Caden Grenier. Not all of these guys are getting protected. I'll tell you right now, Adam Hall, uh, Brett, not- Brett Cumberland, Cody Sedlock, probably not getting protected. I, I would agree. Um, and I, I don't I don't think Caden Grenier will be either. I, I just don't have confidence that a team is going to take Grenier and say, this is a, a major league quality player we can put on the roster for 162 games. He might... He might be serviceable as defensively a, as, as as a defensive replacement. And when you look at it, look at Jared Dyson. Is it Jared or Gerard Dyson? Uh, Gerard. Gerard Dyson. Yep. What has that guy's bat ever done to prove he's a major league player? Nothing. 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 Why is he on a roster? Because he's, he's, he's fast <laughs> and he's a good defender. Yeah. Right. And you could say the same thing about Kevin Grenier. He's fast. And he's a good defender. And everybody needs a utility infielder. And if you have a guy that you can put at second base or shortstop and be confident that he's going to catch the ball and make all the plays, mm-hmm. that's a guy worth having on your roster. And if he also, with with major league hitting coaches, figures it out with the bat a little bit, and when I say figures it out, manages to hit 230, that's a major league player. And I think that there are teams that could view him. Caden Grenier, to me, is a guy I, I protect because I think he's closer to the majors than you think. And I'm not saying he's close to the majors as a guy who is going to be an everyday player. I think he's close to the majors in that his glove is major league ready and he, he could be a valuable utility infielder. It's possible. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think a utility infielder is kind of his role. I, mm-hmm. I don't think he's a starter in this league. I just don't see his bat being enough to be that. But I think that a, a utility infield role makes sense, and I think that he's a he's definitely a good defender and is someone that could that could you know show out with the glove once in a while and be a reliable guy to come off the bench, uh, you know, on your twenty twenty three team. It's really surprising to me though because look, he's got that cha- that championship pedigree. Mm-hmm. Right, he was one of the team Oregon leaders State. for Oregon State. The Dan Duquette, Buck Walter regime, their final draft, they used a thirty seventh overall pick on Caden Grenier. Mm-hmm. That to me is what, yeah. Like, like I get, I, I, I get it because he he hit well his senior year in college, mm-hmm. and he was a good fielder. He was the only, really, the only shortstop in the country that was going to move Nick Madrigal to second base. But he was known as a glove first guy, yeah. all the way. And you use the thirty. He's basically a first round pick because it was a it was a um, competitive balance pick, which is ba- which is counted as first round. It's counted in as, the, a fir- yeah, as a yeah. first round pick. Maybe that alone. Is why the or but again it wasn't Michael Elias that made that pick that was Dan Duquette right right but maybe th- that alone is why they protect him to see what they have because there was a point this maybe. there was a point this year for Bowie where Grenier was on fire there was about a month and a half stretch where he was absolutely on fire and then he went just ice cold mm-hmm. the rest of the year. But he's going to get another opportunity. He probably, he, he probably, I was about to say probably, maybe. He probably <laughs> starts at Bowie and makes his way up to AAA yeah. this year. Um, or maybe he starts at AAA because he spent the entirety of last year at Bowie. Caden yeah. uh, Grenier is a guy I think that they might protect. Patrick Dorian, because <sighs> there's not a lot of guys for third base, gets on base, has power, plays 
okay enough at, uh, defensively to warrant the spot? This one to me is the one I'm I'm on the brink of most. I don't know. I don't know. He he had a good year. He really did. He started off really hot. He tailed off a little bit in the end, but. Uh, Patrick, I, I don't know if I see Patrick Dorian being added. I just don't know if he's – he might get picked, too. He's a guy who could definitely get yeah. picked. Um, a lot of power and – Gets on base. Gets on base. I don't know. I, I, I would say he's not going to be added. That's my guess. That's yeah. my guess. I think we can both agree Robert Newstrom because he's yeah yeah, yeah he's definitely. basically major league ready. I, Robert definitely. Newstrom's going to get gonna be protected. Cumberland, no. Can we talk about Sedlock real quick? Yeah. I, I think Sedlock will not be added, and I think he's definitely getting taken. He was This is the second straight year that he wouldn't be protected. Yeah. And I think that they, they, teams look at him as a valuable bullpen yep. arm. He had a nice year. Yep. He had a nice year coming out of the bullpen. Uh, and he can give you a little bit of long relief because they stretched him out a little bit this year. Mm-hmm. He, he, he might give you three or four innings every now and again. Sedlock's a guy who I think could be take, taken in the Rule 5 this year. Not protected, could be taken. I think that you have to protect Ofelki Peralta. He's been too good. For you now, yeah. he's had some ups and downs recently, but he's been too good for you. I think you have to protect Ofelki Peralta. Now, the guy that I'm the most on the fence with is Blaine Knight. Yeah, he, he was a third yeah. round pick out of Arkansas. He was that that pitcher that won the only game for the for the Arkansas Razorbacks in that uh, College World Series in 2018. I look at Blaine Knight, and he he pitched really well this year at Bowie. Struggle once. So this is what he this is what he does right when he started at. Low A Aberdeen, he was really good. Uh huh. They moved him up to uh, they moved, uh, and then he was really good at Delmarva, and then they moved him from Delmarva to Frederick, and he really struggled. Then he starts last year, this past season at Bowie, he was really good. They move him up to AAA, and he struggled again. I would not be surprised to see him go out at AAA this year, and pitch effectively for the Norfolk Tides. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's. Do you protect him and see if he can give you more? Or do you think... He's still young. You just drafted him right. three years ago. Do you, uh, so, I don't know because he's so close. Because he's been in professional baseball for three years now. I don't know that if you don't protect him that he's not taken. Uh, yeah, this is another one just like Patrick Dorian where I'm, a, I'm really on the fence with it. Because he had a... Okay, year five hundred four ERA in, in Bowie is not what I would have liked to seen, but and then the eight four nine ERA in Norfolk again. His ERA was five hundred four Bowie. It was yeah. That, he must yeah. have that surprised me because he, he yeah. pitched really well at times. I I agree, and and then eight point four nine in in Norfolk is not good either. Obviously, small sample size of seven games, and only two of those actually he started, and that's the weird thing. If you look at that, that's five games in relief, two starts at Bowie. Do the Orioles view him as a it's bullpen a, arm? Norfolk, you mean? Oh yeah, Norfolk. Sorry, sorry. Yes, Norfolk. Five starts or five, five bullpen appearances, two starts. Do yeah, the, but, do the but, Orioles view him as a bullpen arm? But they did a lot of piggybacking this year. They did. They did a lot of piggy, and they said that they were going to do that. So I don't think that you you can read too much into that. I think they view him as a starter. I I don't think that he has electric enough of an arm to be considered a bullpen piece. I think they view him. I think they view him as a starter. Whether they view him as a future piece of this puzzle that remains to be seen <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where look they, they have a lot of stuff that they have to do and yeah. that it, it starts Monday yeah right? it does it, it absolutely starts Monday uh, and expect to be uh, decisions to be made quickly I think that you know especially with this looming CBA negotiation things are going to happen I really think these GM meetings are going to be the busiest uh GM meetings maybe we've ever seen it's going to be rapid fire signings trades uh you know decisions on rosters um 
Yeah, I I one hundred percent agree with you. Um, it's just one, it, and don't be surprised to be surprised. We got we got to get Brett on the line here, but don't don't be surprised to be surprised um, when it comes to what's going to happen because we all saw we were surprised with Ellis, maybe a little bit with Hunter Harvey. Uh, not for me and Zach, not so not so much surprised by Pedro Severino because um, the writing was on the wall there, as we've said all show long. But it was definitely definitely be be prepared to be surprised uh, this off season because they have a lot of stuff that they have to do. They have a lot of stuff that they have to do. They've got to they've got to sign some free agents. They've got to get some guys in the Rule Five. So there's gonna there's gonna be some guys that you um that you like who aren't going to be on this team this year. And that's just that's just what happens every year with with baseball in general. So again, like I said, like Zach said, he thinks there's going to be a lot of activity and I'm saying don't be surprised to be surprised. Yeah, I, I think there will definitely be some surprises with this roster, and that's you know that that really happens every year. Um, generally, last year we were able to predict the, the moves the Orioles made pretty accurately, I would say. But this year there are some definite different things, and the Orioles want to you know infuse the younger talent as much as possible. So if that means getting rid of a, a little bit of the older talent, I wouldn't be surprised at all. all right, and with that in mind, we have uh, Orioles broadcaster Brett Hollander on the show. Hey, Brett, how you doing this morning? Doing well, guys. How are you? We're doing really well. Uh, hey, you know what? You asked me to text you ten minutes before we had you on, and it completely slipped my mind. I I, I apologize. Thank no you. No worries. So, you guys are busy. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh for definitely answering the phone um for us today. We're talking about the Orioles roster, and it's down to twenty seven men on the forty man roster uh, after the after the moves that happened yesterday and the days leading up to that. Um. What were the moves that surprised you the most? I think we can all agree the writing was on the wall with Pedro Severino, but were you surprised to see Hunter Harvey go? Were you surprised to see uh, Diplon and uh, Chris Ellis to be removed from the roster as well? I don't want to say surprised about Ellis and Diplon. Uh, maybe slightly surprised with that one of those guys, and even that like Connor Green won't necessarily be in the mix come spring training. I thought between that group, you'd have a chance to see one or two of them at least compete for a roster spot. I, I'm surprised about Hunter Harvey, but, uh, you know, once you get over the initial shock of it, I guess you understand where the team is coming from. And I'm way past the point of being able to count on Hunter Harvey. I'm sure they wanted to slip him through waivers and hope that he could remain in the organization and get healthy and well. And as Brandon Hyde likes to say, prove health, because that's really where he was at. That's where he was at in 2019 and 2020. I mean, it's almost unbelievable to think that we had to go through it again. And no one feels worse about it than Hunter. And you wish him nothing but the best. And I don't think any of us would be surprised if Hunter Harvey's a legitimate back end reliever at some point. We all know the skill is there. Uh, but I guess the Orioles made the determination that uh, that roster spot was more uh, worthwhile going to somebody else they can count on rather than uh, giving it to Hunter Harvey, who's simply just not been able to stay on the field. Uh, Brett, I'm telling you right now, I'm expecting it. Seeing what happened with Yastrzemski and with Gossman going to the Giants, just because it's the Giants, I'm expecting it. Um, now, the Orioles... Yeah, and... and Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was going to say, even uh, someone like Zach Pop last year, uh, who they didn't protect in the Rule 5 draft, and went to a few teams, bounced around a little bit, I guess, via trade, and had a pretty, you know, okay season and check his final line. But, I mean, he's someone I know the team wanted. They didn't expect anyone who hadn't pitched in two seasons to be a candidate to stay on a 26-man roster for an entire six-month season. I mean, 
Zach had simply not pitched, and I think the team liked him a lot, and that's kind of the gamble you take. But, again, could you afford to give him a 40-man spot for someone who you know doesn't needs more time in AAA, needs time in the minor leagues, needs time to stay healthy, and then next thing you know, some team you know who's also in a rebuild state uh, can go and claim him and, um, and feel it's worth it to keep him on the roster all year long. Yeah, you know the Orioles did the same thing though with Tyler Wells. It's it's uh, yep, yeah, exactly. which I, I wasn't expecting that either. But that, that that's baseball, man. You can never really predict anything that's going to happen here, especially looking. You can't predict the fact that the Orioles weren't going to have a single catcher on their forty man roster here on November sixth. Nick Chufo is elected free agency after being outright. Same thing with Pedro Severino and Austin wins. We expect that Adley Rutschman will be added after a new CBA is in place. But what do you expect the Orioles to do to address catcher this offseason when they don't have a guy on the roster right now? Well, I mean, they have to sign at least a couple, I would think. And, yeah. you know, I really identified it as among the most important things, Adley or no Adley, uh, you need a legitimate veteran catcher. I think it helps you both on the pitching front, and it helps you in developing Adley Rutschman. And I remember when Matt Wieters was set to come up in the 09 season, uh, the Orioles went out and got, what, Greg Zahn uh, yeah. to be a kind of a veteran guy to not only help, you know, they knew there'd be a time period where he'd be the starting catcher until uh, Matt got called up, but also, you, you, need, you know, Adley's going to get here with only one full season of professional baseball. He's going to need help, too. Certainly on the pitching side of things, having a legitimate catcher uh, who knows how to call a game and work through a pitching staff is so important. So uh, to me, that, that is one of the most important things moving forward. Then let you sign a couple of guys. I'm sure they'll sign kind of a fringy 4A guy or two, and then they'll need to sign a legitimate major league catcher, I think, uh, to uh, either at worst be the backup and, and perhaps for at least a period of time be the starting catcher. Well, And with that in mind, do you think, as a lot of people are trying to read the tea leaves here, Brett, and they think that this means that Adley Rutschman is going to be the, the starting catcher for the Orioles on opening day. How optimistic are you for that, or do you think that he's going to be down in the minors for about three to four weeks before he gets the call up for good? Ask me after the new CBA is done and what the uh, service time rules are, because that's going to be the biggest yeah. factor in that sort of thing. I mean, I think all of us understand if you could uh, have Adley get called up uh, – a few weeks after opening day and you essentially an extra year before arbitration or an extra year of service time that you'd be insane not to do that. But I think we all understand that he's maybe the best player in the organization. He's the face of this rebuild. He is a position of need and it would excite a hungry fan base. And to me, it has to be a part of the overall equation when you look at this, but I think there's a real chance if he, goes to spring training and he really hits and he handles himself well, uh, then it becomes an interesting decision. But last year he didn't hit great in spring training. So uh, I I think that's really going to be the test. He's got to, in some ways, will his way into that, making it almost an impossible decision. I remember Nick Markakis did that in 2006. He had not played above double A, but it became clear that he was the best hitter, you know, in, in spring training that year, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And there was almost no way they couldn't take him north. And uh, you, you got to, I mean, Adley, if he, you know, hits 180 in great league play, then they're going to have an excuse to say, listen, he needs more time. And, and it's funny, uh, you know, Kelnick on Seattle, and I mean, general managers and teams will always get blamed for not calling up prospects and saying they're trying to manipulate things. But 
the Mariners call, did not call Kelnick. They were blasted for not calling him up, saying that, oh, they're just trying to manipulate service time. It's not fair to him. And then he gets called up, and after one good game, I think he went for like a 1-60 through 60 stretch. So he wasn't ready, and it is hard. So we assume that just because there are good prospects that they're necessarily ready, when we know that's really not true. So the Mariners were actually in the right on that, even though the baseball world just blasted them for keeping down the best prospect for some more time. Brett, the, the Tigers and the Reds made the first trade of the MLB offseason this week. Uh, Tucker Barnhart went to the, the Reds, to the Tigers. Um, a, a guy that's generally, you know, a consensus says he's the a very good defensive catcher um, and a guy that the Orioles probably could have looked at in a trade. Uh, do you think that's a, a piece they are maybe looking at, or are they looking at someone similar to that in, in some kind of trade? Yeah, I mean, trade's possible, certainly, but to, to get something, you need to give up something. What are you willing to give up? Right yeah. now, that you have uh, on your either now what twenty-seven players on their forty-man, and then uh, the minor leagues to get something like that. I mean, it's always possible, but um, you know, to me, the free agent route probably makes a little more sense. I've looked at some of the names out there. You know, uh, some of them are intriguing, but yeah, you're looking for a glove first, defensive first uh, catcher who really knows how to handle pitching and who wants to kind of embrace a leadership role and understands that kind of the range on the wall the day he gets here, that he's, his job is to mentor the game's best prospect who also is a catcher. And that means playing time uh, might, you know, be uh, not, not great come at least, you know, May 1st or even earlier. So who knows? But um, I, I think that that's a tough sell. That, that's my one concern about going out and getting somebody in that market who you have to find out who wants to play that role because, uh, you know, legitimately, they're not going to play very much at some point. Now, I do expect Adley to DH a lot and even play some first base because they think they want to keep his bat in the lineup and they don't want to wear him out. So, in that sense, you know, we'll see what the roster sizes look like with the new CBA. But I could see a scenario where the Orioles carry three catchers on their roster once Adley gets here because I think there will be a desire to DH him uh, on days he's not behind the plate. Oh, yeah, they're certainly going to want to keep that bat in the lineup. Now, you've mentioned CBA a couple of times, and Rutschman's arrival is contingent upon that new CBA. Everything we're hearing, Brett, says that there's going to be a work stoppage here, probably an owner's lockout starting December 2nd. Uh, we haven't really heard much from either side about the, the talks about this new CBA, which when we had Chip Carey on a little earlier today, he said he thinks that's a good thing because nothing's been leaked yet. What is your level of optimism that a deal gets done? And have you been hearing anything about a new collective bargaining agreement? I've heard absolutely nothing, only what you've read and what we've heard and the rumors and whatever else. I think it's a great sign that it hasn't been that ugly back and forth and they're not, both sides aren't posturing to the media and trying to score points with the fans or the media. That to me says they're serious and they understand the stakes. Whether it's enough to avoid a work stoppage, I don't know. I mean, to me, the deadline is kind of an arbitrary day. Yeah. They could get a deal done December 5th or 6th, and it means nothing. The, you know, the NFL has work stoppages all the time that pretty much just impact uh, n not even you know, the draft or parts of that offseason. It might you know, slow down uh, offseason you know, on-field activities and things like that. So if you're not missing games, I think most fans it won't resonate with. Once you start – Spring training games and the clock of the season in jeopardy. It's a whole new ball game. But at some point, you also need to have your off season. Hot stove uh, is a big part of the draw of baseball. I think it's a very fun off season to follow. 
And there's a lot of big name free agents out there who, by the way, have all the incentive in the world to want to get a deal done and sign and, 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 you know, get the big contract. So, um, you know, these guys want to know where they're going to live, where they're going to play. And so both sides have incentive to get a deal done. I mean, the biggest thing is though, as a fan of the game and as someone who, who loves the game and cares deeply about its future, you, you just cannot have a long work stoppage and ugly back and forth and anything that could be a detriment to the popularity of the game. And, and the, both sides have to understand above all that the stakes are great. This is not 1994. Uh, the amount of options for entertainment out there at your fingertips is beyond what anyone could have ever imagined. There's more sports that are competing with baseball. And although baseball is incredibly popular and we can save that conversation for another day, how somehow every October the narrative is about the death of the game, but yet the ratings and everything else, comparatively speaking outside the NFL are, are great. Um, and you know, what a, you know, to see fans back in the playoffs and in the ballparks and you got to capitalize it and keep the momentum going. But uh, the, the, the game has a lot of issues it needs to work through, but the last thing it needs is a work stoppage. This is not 1994. This is not another work stoppage that has gone happen in all the sports. And for every reason, baseball gets, you know, kind of labeled as the most toxic environment, other leagues and, you know, other leagues have lost seasons and, and have had ugly, ugly work stoppages, but uh, it's just not, a time and place in, in history where you can just say, Oh, we'll work it out. And, and you know, who cares if we miss this or if this doesn't happen. I mean, it's just, it can't happen. I mean, the stakes are so high. Uh, you know, I, I know people who, I mean, there was not a day in 94 where you think that the MLS would have eyeballs if it didn't exist and every other, um, you know, league that's out there right now competing. So it's just something. It's just not the same world. It's not the big three or four sports anymore. There's a lot of ways to be entertained. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, and especially coming off a pandemic where fans are just getting back right. into the stands, you don't want another reason for them not to come out to your ballpark. So I think something definitely needs to get done, and ultimately I think something will get done. However, with the new CBA, with the potential for a work stoppage and a lockout, do you think what kind of impact do you think that has on free agency? Do you think we're going to see a flurry of moves at the start of free agency, or you think teams are going to wait and then we're going to have a freeze? Hard to say. I think the smart money's on the big names waiting until after there's an agreement. I think there, you might see some shrewd signings or trades, and you know maybe some GMs say maybe there's a guy out there who doesn't want to sit through a work stoppage or not know where his future is, and you could swoop in and maybe cut a really smart or clever deal. I don't think the big names go, but I could see some of that activity where. There's some players out there. There's some general managers out there who, who find an opportunity to cut a deal based on the idea that a player doesn't want to not know his future and just wants to get it done. And, um, you know, I think the industry mostly right now is in a holding pattern. But, you know, there's business to do. And I, I think uh, there'll be some players who, who could sign in the next uh, you know, three or four weeks. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that the, that the top tier are going to wait until after things are all said and done, but I think you're going to see a lot of moves from the second tier and the mid-tiers uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, he is Brett Hollander. He is a play-by-play man and broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles. Brett, before we go, are you in, uh, before we let you go, are you and Jeff doing the Hot Stove Show again every Thursday this offseason? We're, we're uh, likely going to do one. We don't know our first day yet uh, and, and when that would happen. Last year it started, I believe, uh, maybe three weeks before spring training. So oh, okay. uh, it, it's not happening in, in 
the near future, but hopefully uh, we'll get it off the ground soon enough. I think we're all certainly looking forward to that. Can't wait to see you back in the broadcast booth uh, next, next season for the Baltimore Orioles. Brett, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great one. That was Brett Hollander joining us on the Bat Around, Orioles play-by-play man and broadcaster. Always love talking with Brett. He's a he's a good Orioles guy, and he's a local guy. So uh, good to see some uh, good things happening for him. Sell me a Toyota real quick there, Zach. Make the most out of every day at a Toyota RAV4, available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out biotoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Did I sell you it? Eh. Oh, well, I, I, I need to put more like moxie into it next time. Like, get, no, like a, no, 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 no. I'm I'm gonna go out. Of, my next vehicle will now be a Toyota. My oh, next vehicle is great. Gonna be a Toyota. They, they, I did they, my job then. They, they, no, no, they, Toyota Rav4 is a great vehicle. Uh, the Camry Toyota ha- makes a great vehicle, and they last forever. Mm-hmm. No, the, mm-hmm. the, the Toyota sells itself. Mm-hmm. But you you did a wonderful job. I appreciate you. Also wanted to let you know that Zach sounding off segment sounding off with Zach Goodman was brought to you by the Tyus Bowser Show. Tyus Bowser Show is headed your way this season. Join the Baltimore linebacker and the special guest teammates at various locations around town with your chance to get pictures and autographs and hear everything that needs to be said before and after games. If you can't make it out, you can watch the shows live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen to them the next day. The Tyus Bowser Show is brought to you by Great Eights Memorabilia and Press Box. Find out more at pressboxonline.com slash Bowser or at greateightsmemorabilia.com. That's great, the letter eight, the number eight, the letter S, memorabilia.com. Next Tyus Bowser Show is Tuesday, November 16th at Mother's Intimonium. And coming November 9th, you can meet safety Deshaun Elliott just by donating a $20 gift card at Wise Markets, 9613 Hartford Road. Those gift cards will be used to benefit Harvest of Hope to help those who need it this holiday season. Find out more great eights memorabilia.com. Do, do you think Tyus Bowser is aware that he's sponsoring my sounding off segment? I hope he's aware. Uh, he needs to know. We'll, we'll yeah, we, we got we to let aware. him know. Yeah. You're the sponsor. Yeah. Of the, of the, <laughs> next week it could be Toyota. You, you never know. You, you never, never know. know. Um, remains to be seen. We got to get another break when we come back. The final take to rake. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Once again this season, PressBox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune into Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash Radio. Pressbox's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is coming soon to Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Maryland, this is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. 
Every seat is the best seat at M&T Bank Stadium. Don't miss a moment of Ravens football this season. Single game tickets are now available at BaltimoreRavens.com slash tickets. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you change lanes and brake suddenly in front of my tractor trailer, I won't be able to stop. Our lives could change forever. Trucks need room to stop. Don't cut it close. Brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation State Highway Administration. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser Show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on PressBox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Ty's Bowser Show. The next Ty's Bowser Show is Tuesday, November 16th at Mother's in Timonium. It's brought to you by Pressbox and Great Eights Memorabilia. Ah, that, that old Glenn Clark music. That's our music. That's the, the, the bat around. The old Glenn Clark radio music that is now the bat around break, coming out of break three, the final segment music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn Clark radio does have a new, uh, new, th- new theme song at the beginning of every show and a new co-host, yours truly. <laughs> Why don't yeah, you tell me a little bit about, tell our listeners a little bit more about that. There is a new era of Glenn Clark radio as the bat around's own Paul Valley took over as the show's co-captain. The show remains the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Maryland basketball coach Mark Turgeon and ESPN Sal Palantino. Find those interviews and Palantone. more. Palantonio. So Palantonio. I read it wrong. Yeah, I know. Um, find those interviews and more. And t- 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 find those interviews and more today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at PressBoxOnline.com. And the latest edition of PressBox. It's available now on the cover. Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of Maryland women's basketball team. As, uh, as she looks back, but also looks forward, plus we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area, and the first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven uh, Eric Green, who could be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Everything good over there, Paul. Yeah, you jumped the gun. You weren't supposed to read the, pre- the, print, oh, really? the print one yet. That's the sponsor of our oh. of, of Take to Rake, and I'm not quite ready for Take to Rake. That was the sponsor of Take to Rake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Press no, but, but you jumped the gun because I'm not quite ready for Take my to apologies, Rake yet. My apologies, my um, apologies. 
you won. Take the rake. Okay, I, I, Freddie Freeman. Yeah, yeah. You you picked Freddie Freeman. I picked uh, Alex Bregman. Alex, Alex Bregman went one for twelve. Uh, oh, since in the three games since our last show. Yeah, uh, Freddie Freeman. Pretty sure he had a couple of home runs and yep. a couple of doubles over the last three games. So Freddie Freeman was the victor for you for take to rake. Final take to rake. Uh, kind of a lackluster ending because somebody jumped the gun with the live read. But I feel like it's I'm, not that big of a deal. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just giving you a hard time. It's just I'm sad because I like take to rake. Me too. I like take to rake, and there's no way to do it in the off season unless we start paying attention to the to the Dominican Winter League, which is probably almost over anyway. That I I don't even know how we could pick players in that honestly. But Albert, hey, P- Albert Pujols is down there. Is he? Uh, Vl- Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is down there. Uh, Calvin Gutierrez just hit a monstrous home run. We, Down in the Dominican Winter League. How about the Arizona Fall League? That goes until the end of uh, end of November. We could do a, like a special edition Arizona gonna, Fall League. We're not going to do that. We're no, okay. Uh, uh, you can just pick Kyle Stowers every week if you want. He's not playing. He's now he's shut he, down. He, correct, yeah, they shut him down correct. with a minor back injury. Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Yeah, he, well, because it's not a big deal. It's it's yeah. it's it's like he. His back was sore getting out of bed one day, and they were like, all right, <laughs> yeah. you, you've already gotten well over 500 at-bats this year. We don't need you to, to, to do right. anything else. Uh, Yusniel Diaz is still out there. Oh. Got off to a good start, and then the back kind of fell off again. Do you have any hopes no. for him? No. I, I, if, it seems like one of those guys where you think that he could be something, and then he's not, and then he never really gets it here. And he ends up going any goes goes someplace else, and the next thing you know, he's a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, if that happens, I don't really care. Yeah, like the like there are some guys like a Mike Yastrzemski. Even though when he got when he got picked up by the Giants, he was twenty nine years old, mm-hmm. and there was the beginning of the Orioles rebuild, and you couldn't like. I could justify them not, not keeping him. But there's a little party that sees him go out and had, hit like 270 with 25 home runs his first year with the, with the Giants. People are like they should have held on to him. I get why they didn't, but you can understand why people would be upset. Yosniel Diaz has done literally nothing since coming over to the Orioles organization. He has done literally nothing, and much like Hunter Harvey, he has spent more time off the field than on it. And that's even harder to say. That's even harder to do when you're a position player. He is. He's got nothing. He's done nothing for me. Are you all right over there? You haven't said a word. Yeah. I, no, I'm just letting you finish. Um, he's a non-factor at this point. Yeah. He's a non-factor. Um, I, I don't see him becoming anything because he hasn't shown us he can become anything. I said last year on the show that I think the Orioles should trade Anthony Santander because they think Yusniel Diaz has a higher ceiling. That's no longer true. That's no longer true. Um, Yusniel Diaz had to come out in 2021, stay healthy, and hit. He didn't either. So yeah. I, I can't really tell you that he's going to be anything at this point. And it sucks because this is the centerpiece for Manny Machado. This was the guy, this was the guy that was being compared to Yasiel Puig. Um and, and Stan talks about it all the time. You know, credit to Stan for for noticing this on Usnail Diaz a while ago. That the Dodgers really oversell their prospects to people. The Dodgers make their prospects look a little more attractive than they actually are. I think that happened with Usnail Diaz. I think the Orioles got caught up in his, you know, potential comparisons to to Yasiel Puig and the the star power that Diaz might have, and maybe got lost in the fact that, you know, he may have you know struggled with with some swing changes and everything he went through. So to me, he's a non-factor at this point. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't think that there's any way that he could be now. No, we haven't even talked. About Anthony Santander, that's another non-tender candidate. I uh, uh, look, 
I am a I'm an Anthony Santander guy. I love what he does from both sides of the plate. I think he's a good outfielder, but it's another guy who needs to stay healthy. And I think that we saw in stretches when he was healthy this year, and the, you can make the argument that for the majority of the year he wasn't healthy, but he grinded it out, right? Um, but he's a guy who, again, ended the year on the I.L. for the third straight season. And does he have a future here? Is Is he... In the Orioles' plans in 2022, or is he a non-tender candidate? Or are they going to trade him? I think <laughs> I, I I don't really want to say this because it sounds un, you know kind of like unprofessional, but none of he's all the three. He's all the three. I can't tell you well, one way or the other because I have no clue. He he's honestly all the three. Um, he could either be traded, he could be non-tendered, or he could stay with this team. I have absolutely zero clue what might happen here, and we and we've predicted things pretty accurately generally. This one. I have no idea what the Orioles might do with him. I don't know if there's a trade partner because I don't know if he's a good enough player to be a trade partner. But then again, he's a switch hitter from you know who has power for both sides. He's a guy that you know uh, was in the running for a Gold Glove in 2020 for some reason, um, and he's a guy that you know kind of lit up that 60 game season before getting injured and only ended up playing 37 games. But non tender, yeah, definitely possibility too. Um, but then again, I look at that and I say, are the Orioles really going to non-tender a switch hitter from, with power from both sides? He was a gold glove candidate in 2020 and, and you know, lit up the 60-game season. I don't know. Um, and then, you know, could he stick around? I think that's the most likely scenario. Um, I think he might open. I think he will open, I should say, as a starting right fielder. Um, I if wish, he's healthy. If he's healthy. I wish I had a better answer on this. I'm, I'm completely lost on it. I, I've, I have no idea what the Orioles are going to do with this. I think because they don't really have anything else that's exactly Major League ready. And we, we can talk about um, Kyle Stowers, mm-hmm. and we can talk about Robert Newstrom. And sure. they'll, they'll be here. They'll both be here at some point, we, we assume, in 2022. But we said the same thing about Yosniel Diaz. Um, mm-hmm. But th- we, we can assume that they'll both be here at some point in 2022. But I'm inclined to think that the Orioles hang on to Santander and that he's their starting right fielder uh, on opening day. But I think that he takes himself out of the equation because he's inevitably going to get hurt again. It's it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when at this point because every year that he has <laughs> been here, yeah, you know, when he was the Rule Five pick in 2017, mm-hmm. he didn't play till August right. because he had a shoulder injury. Yeah, um, 2018 he was ineffective. They sent him back down. And he got hurt again. Mm-hmm. 2019 he comes up and he he looks like a monster, and then has a labor issue. Mm-hmm. 2020. He had what was it in 2020? Was it the sh- the shoulder? I believe it was. Uh, he was sliding back into a base, uh, and he, he was trying to. Get, he almost got picked off at first base. He slid. Yeah, that was he this slid year. Back. That was. Oh, that this was this year. year in the Marlins. Yeah. They yeah. Get, it, okay. it was. I'm wrong. It was. Um. Um. 2020. In 2020, what I was the it, injury? I think it was. Uh, was the it the oblique? oblique? Yeah. Well, and then it, well, he had the oblique in the oblique issue in spring training this year, and then he has the ankle issue. The ankle issue, and I think he uh-huh. had another uh, a, a little. Flare up of the oblique again at the end of the year that caused him to miss the end of the season. It's you can name his injuries for every year. Yeah. It is an inevitability that he is going to be hurt mm-hmm. at some point this year. It's inevitable. at some point in 2022. So honestly, it, it's the most confusing part of this offseason to me. I have no i I have no mo- remote idea what he what's the most do. confusing thing of the offseason to me is Trey Mancini. Yeah, that's another that's another good one because um, you you look at the holes on the roster. And you can see ways that they're going to fill him, mm-hmm. right? Trey Mancini is is it's his last year as arbitration eligible. Yep, he's due a raise of about seven point nine million dollars. Yeah, that's a lot. On the one hand, the Orioles have zero financial commitments currently yeah. 
to the, for next year. So you can see them. I could see them giving him eight million dollars because mm-hmm. who else are they going to give it to? But then you look at what they've done in this rebuild, and they don't spend that kind of money on anybody, on anybody. Although they did pay ten million dollars for Alex Cobb to not be here. That's true. Trey Mans, and there's not going to be a trade partner for him. People aren't going to tra- like look. You don't want to say it, but it's the elephant in the room. People aren't going to trade for a guy who just came off a bout with cancer. They're not going to do it. And Bruce Cunningham I, said this on the radio a couple of weeks ago, and I agreed with him. You love Trey Mancini. You're so happy that he beat cancer. Of course you're happy that he beat cancer. He was deservedly so the comeback player of the year. But he had a scare in June, and teams would be irresponsible if they didn't take that into account when they look at signing Trey Mancini, when they look at extending Trey Mancini, when they look at trading for Trey Mancini. And then on top of that, if Trey Mancini wasn't coming off beating colorectal cancer and he came out and he hit 255 with 21 home runs and 77 RB, 71 RBIs, is that a guy that you would give an extension to? No. Right. No. No. So you... you if you take, if you leave the, the 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 colorectal cancer part of it in the equation, are you you're hesitant to give a guy a contract? You're hesitant to sign a guy or trade for a guy who has that in his recent past. And if you take it out of it, you're hesitant to trade for a guy or extend a guy who was about a league average player in 2021. Trey Mancini is the most confusing thing of this offseason for me. The Orioles apparently are open to an extension, but what does an extension look like for a guy who's going to be 30 years old before the season starts who didn't have a great year? Right. That's where I stand on it. I, I think you bring up a good point about you know the, the, bow, the scare in June and how it would be a little bit tough for a team to make a trade knowing that. It's a little bit tough. Um, but I think what makes it even tougher is just that Trey Mancini was very average this year. And honestly, he was really good the I, first two, two right, and a half months. Right. And I, I would say, at, you know, put it all together and you look at it as a whole, it's it, .9 war, below average. He was a below average player to me. Um, I don't think that his his value is $8 million. I think it's more, you know, two, three to four maybe. Um, as great As much as I love Trey Mancini, as much as I want him on this team, I don't think I could justify an extension. I just don't think he's played well enough to justify, you know, giving him, um, you know, two years, fifteen million, something like that. Um, I could justify that. You could, I could, okay, I could, I could justify two, two, even three years at twenty million. Okay, or three years at twenty-four million. I could, I could justify that because he's Trey Mancini. Sure, because he's earned that in Baltimore. And yeah, this this year was down, but twenty nineteen was otherworldly. 35 homers, yeah. 38 doubles, a 291 batting average, yeah. 97 RBIs. That is a monster mm-hmm. season for anybody. And that was on a that was on a 108 loss team. Right. That that season who he is, what he means to his community, what he's and, and it, it's a catch 22 here and I'm, I'm contradicting myself. But that alone for the Orioles makes him an extension candidate. What he what he's gone through, what he means, and yeah. what he's done in the past makes him an extension candidate. But other teams, 
that, that's not enough. He doesn't mean to other teams what he means to Baltimore. Right. He hasn't done for other teams what he's done. For, and you're not paying for what Trey Mancini did in 2019. You're paying for what Trey Mancini did in 2021 right. and what he's going to do in the next few years. I, I keep I, I keep seeing people say the Orioles are going to trade Trey Mancini. I'm like, for what, For what? what? Nobody's what? giving you anything of value. Uh, uh, you don't trade somebody just to trade somebody. Right. Guys like Trey Mancini are far from a dime a dozen. Far from it. Trey Mancini is a very common player. He's a very common player. He's a, he's a first baseman who's a power hitter. A, di- that, a dime a dozen means that you're common. Oh, so yeah, com- he, yeah sorry, I'm I'm just messing up my words here. No, but sorry. He he yeah he he's a guy who's very 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 common. Um, that, you know, you look at a guy like Yermi Mercedes, and I said this at the beginning of the year. Yermi Mercedes did for like those two or three months what Trey Mancini did at the beginning of the year. Now, obviously, he didn't carry it through for the whole season. But my point is, is that it's very 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 easy to find these guys that can put up .9 WAR and can hit 21 home runs. And when you add the cancer scare on top of that, I just don't see a team giving the Orioles anything of value for them. They're not. Maybe you get a guy like Garrett Stallings. Maybe. I don't even know if you get that. Um, and guys, he's 30 years old. Right, right. He's 30 years old. And look, 30 years old is young. I wish I was 30 years old. But he's 30, still arbitration eligible. Uh-huh. There's tread on those tires. Right. I, 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 the future for Mancini, I... I don't know if it's here. I just don't know if it's here, and I, I don't think it's going to be by trade. I, I still say he's a non-tender candidate. I There's would not no be way. shocked. There's no way they non-tender him. I would be willing, to, I would be willing to, to say that right now, that I think it might happen. I, really, I, 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 I think I, there's no way they non-tender, they non-tender trade. That it, would be such a devastating... Uh-huh. Uh, that, that, that's such a bad look to do to the face of your franchise right now. Now, look, he's yeah. the face of your franchise right now. Mm-hmm. He's not as soon as... Um, March 31st next year. Mm-hmm. He's not the face of the franchise. That's Adley Rutschman. Yeah. Okay. Trey Mancini, to me, I think what ultimately ends up happening with him is that the Orioles, get they offer him arbitration. Mm-hmm. He stays here on that arbitration deal on a one-year deal next year. Possible. Yeah. And he either plays out a season and he walks in free agency or he, has a re- he gets back to 2019 Trey and they trade him at the deadline. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly possible. Um, you're going to need a lot more out of him to trade him at the deadline than what than what they got. Um, well, that's what I'm saying. If, right. If, yeah. The, the only way they, the, that they trade him at the deadline is if he's doing what he did in 2019. Right. And if he's he's on 35 home run pace. And I think the Orioles probably believe that they can get somewhat similar production out of Tyler Nevin for a lot less money. I mean, you're you're looking at Tyler Nevin as a seven point seven and a half million less uh, player than Trey Mancini. He's going to make five hundred and sixty thousand dollars, the league minimum. Um, Trey Mancini would make seven point nine. And if uh, maybe can Tyler Nevin put up point nine more? I think he could over a full season. Yeah, I think he, he could hit like two twenty. Yeah, but point, at Norfolk, point and, nine and more you, is nothing special. And you and I, yeah, but he hit like two twenty at Norfolk, and we've talked about yeah. how big the gap is from AAA to the major. Definitely, leagues. definitely. Uh, I need to see more. Uh, he he had a four hundred and forty two foot home run at the end of the mm-hmm. year for the Orioles. Big freaking whoop! Like people are talking about that, like it's a be all end all. I've seen nah, that's not. I've that seen deal. lots of dudes hit moonshot home runs that were nothing. Willie Mopena comes to mind. Um, mm-hmm. Look. Tyler Nevin, I'm not sold on him. I'm not convinced that, and I don't know that the Orioles view him as somebody who can do what Trey Mancini does. I think the I likely, don't know. Uh, I I I find it hard to believe he could. What, what I'm what I'm more so look at, and we haven't even talked about this, and this is for the future, not for 2022. Heston Kirsten is back to full baseball activities, mm-hmm. and he's going to face live pitching this coming week. Mm-hmm. And he said he he feels good. He's back to where he was, and he feels stronger mentally after going through what he went through. 
he's another outfielder, and there's three to four guys who are probably better outfielders are going to be in that outfield. So who's going to DH? If Mountcastle's playing first base, you want Hessen Kersad's bat in your lineup? He's going to DH. That's the guy who I think the Orioles maybe count on to replace Trey Mancini as soon as 2023, maybe 2024. Um, either way, I don't... I, I'm going to go out there and say I am almost certain. Nothing is fact. This is just my opinion, but I am almost certain that Trey Mancini is not an Oriole in 2023. Oh, I agree. I am I am, I am. am almost certain. You can't say never. And no. like I said, the Orioles are Wait. open to an extension. I don't know what that extension is going to look like. Mm-hmm. I think max three years, $24 million. Max. Oh, I, I just do not want to give out that deal. I would not be happy if they gave out that deal. I, that, that's... that's <sighs> I just don't think he's worth. At, at, at a certain point, you have to ask yourself: Is a thirty now thirty three year old, thirty two year old, when he's in the middle of that deal, blocking somebody who's better? Yeah, I mean, at that point, probably. At yeah. that point, probably. Um, you're you know you're going to keep drafting guys too. You got to consider what they're going to draft, and you know with with they get the first pick in the first and second round, and and then the third round as well. So it's they they have a lot of picks coming up next year as well. They're going to have another twenty round draft. You might draft a first baseman somewhat high. You never know. He could be in the fold for twenty twenty four. And and Trey Mancini to me, it just it to it, there's not a long term solution here that makes a lot of sense. Um, extension at eight million dollars per year, three for twenty-four. I, I don't know. I don't feel good Guys, about that. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. The more we talk about this, the more I'm certain that next year is Trey's last. I, I, I agree. I agree. Next year is Trey's last year. But I, so, I, so my, my all I'm going to say because we got to move on here. Uh-huh. All I'm going to say here is get out to the ballpark next year. Yeah. It, it, go out in droves. Go see Trey. Give him your respect mm-hmm. because he's not going to be here after next season. I, I don't think there's a clear answer here. Um, it's not like Hanser Alberto last year where we predicted since like the, the day one of the offseason that he was going to be non-tendered. Um, yeah. the, Trey Mancini is a very complicated situation, especially because of the, you know what he go, has gone through health-wise. We don't really know. We, we, it's just like Santander. I'm not really – I can't put my finger on it and say this is definitively what they're going to do, but I, I think there's a chance for a lot of different possibilities, and I'm not sure Orioles fans are going to be happy with it no matter what. What we do know – is that Mike, Mike Elias does not operate heart first. No. <laughs> no. Right. right. So be prepared, guys. Just be prepared because I, I think that that Trey Mancini's days in Baltimore are numbered. Agreed. I, I, I think he will be here next year. Mm-hmm. He's going to DH and play first base for the Orioles next year. Uh, but after that, he's gone. Maybe um, even as soon as the deadline, but I'm more yeah. so thinking – that he's going to be gone by the end of next season. I agree. Uh, I'm going to announce a quick uh, option that was just picked up here, club option. Uh, The White Sox picked up $16 million club option on Craig Kimbrell, so he will return to them um, instead of going out in the free agency. That's that's important. I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't. I, he, but he would have been a really interesting name on the free agent market. Craig Kimbrell yeah, is. No, no, is, no. And when I say I don't care, I'm just I say that tongue in cheek. Uh, he he's one of the best relievers in the yep. game, one of the best closers in the game. Yep. Um. Now they're pairing him again for a full season with he and um, and Hendricks over there in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's a good move for him. It's a good move for the White Sox. Yep. Uh, it makes sense. Um. Yeah, I, I, he would have gotten a lot of money. <laughs> he he would have been paid. He yeah. would have been paid on the free agent market, but he's been paid a lot in the past. He's still getting $16 million this year, and he has an opportunity to go win a World Series. Mm-hmm. Smart move for, for both sides. Agreed. Ravens taking on the Vikings tomorrow. Um, Ravens got shellacked yeah. by the Bengals two weeks ago. I don't want to talk about it. I'm going to be <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be at the game tomorrow with my beautiful wife. Um, 
the, if the, Ra- the Ravens need to figure out how to tackle. I, I hope they spent the majority of the last two weeks learning how to tackle. Yeah. And when I say that, love Marlon Humphrey having the worst year of his career. Yeah. And all, yeah. he I, I've seen too many times this year him being dragged down the field because he's trying to punch the ball out instead yep. of make a tackle. Yep. And he hasn't uh, succeeded yet. Yeah. Here's the thing with the fruit punch. It it was a novelty last year. It worked because it, it, for the last two years, it worked because people weren't thinking about Nobody it. Nobody expected it. Right. People know that's what you're doing now. Right. So instead of doing the fruit punch, just wrap up and tackle. Yeah. And that's gonna make the fruit punch work. In the future, right? Because people aren't expecting. It. Oh, this dude's just wrapping up. He's just hitting. Um, He's just it, tackling. And then all of a sudden, boom! There comes the punch. He a couple weeks ago, he got dragged like like thir- twenty yards. Yeah, like it, it, I'm going Marlin. Just bring him down. Stop. Just, s- stop trying to slam the ball out. You're not going to do it because everyone knows you're trying to. One of the Azoma touchdowns was. Yeah. he was trying to punch the ball yep. out and got got dragged into the end zone. Yep. Uh, just. It's frustrating when you it, see it, that. It's frustrating because a lot of those big plays by the Bengals were because of non-tackling. Mm-hmm. The the 82-yarder by um, oh, by Jamar, Jamar Chase, Chase, he broke like six tackles. Yeah. Like, like And he, he made Deshaun Elliott look foolish on that. after A week after he had the best game of his pro career. Yeah, th- these safeties too, when you look at Chuck Clark and, and Deshaun Elliott, these guys are not known for pass coverage. They're known for tackling and run-stopping. Um, and they're not doing a great job at tackling this year at all um not frankly none of the secondary is doing a good job anthony averett as much as i love the guy i love anthony averett one of my favorite ravens he's in my top five the guy just gives up on a lot of plays i see a lot of times where he'll just he won't even try to make the tackle if you look at uh the the Bengals, one of the touchdown runs they had i I think at the end of the game where it was about that 40 yard uh run for the touchdown and obviously it was it was garbage time at that point the ravens were going to lose anthony averett just stuck an arm out he just yeah. he just stuck his arm out. He didn't even attempt to make a, the tackle. It, it was a business decision. Yeah, it was on, it was a business on, on, on decision right, on yeah. his part. Yeah. Uh, why am I going to get hurt by a guy who's clearly going to run me over anyway? Because yeah, yeah. it's a skinny dude. He is and a small was, dude. And that yeah. was Samaj yeah. P. Ryan, and yep. he's an NFL running back for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a business decision. I I can't fault him on that. Now I look at at this game coming up tomorrow. Kirk Cousins has only thrown two interceptions this year. Yeah, he's been really good. That that could change. I, I I like Kirk Cousins. I give him a lot more respect than a lot of people do. He doesn't win in big games on primetime. This game is not in primetime. It's at 1 o'clock on a Sunday. Yeah. He's got Justin Jefferson. He's got Adam Thielen. He's mm-hmm. got Dalvin Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I think that the offense is going to – that the Vikings offense is going to be good, but they have a rookie left tackle, Yep. and they've got Justin Houston and Adafi Owe coming at him. I think Justin Houston's going to have himself a nice game because I th- – 100th sack finally, I, I th- hopefully. I, I think he's going to have a nice game. Um, and on defense, the Vikings are without their best defender for the rest of the year. Daniel Hunter, Hunter yeah. uh, he's out for the year. I can't remember what the injury was, but he has six sacks. I think it was pectoral. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He tore his pec. He yeah. tore his pec. He's out for the rest of the year. Yep. So they lose their best defender. Uh, with that being said, I think Lamar's going to have a field day tomorrow. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't I, doubt it. Sammy Watkins is going to be back, so now you you have Brown, Bateman, Watkins. Oof. Andrews, then Duvernay will we'll get some plays in. Yeah. Um, That's a pretty net. Like, th- this is, to me, I, I just The best set- receiving core we've had in Baltimore in I don't know how long. Ever. Ever. That's what I was just about to say. This is the best receiving core ever in, yeah. in Ravens history. There has never been, you know, three legitimate talent weapons like Bateman, Brown, and Watkins. These three are really good wide receivers. Really good wide receivers. I mean, uh, Watkins is on, uh, you know, if he didn't get hurt, was probably on pace to have a career year. I mean, he he did have, the last time he had 1,000 yards was with Greg Roman in Buffalo. You can make the argument 2011 
when they had yeah. when they had Bolden, Torrey Bold, Smith, yeah. Derek Mason, yeah. Todd Heap. And the um, one point they did have, you know, Steve Smith, Torrey Smith on the same team, and that was a pretty good, you know, yeah. pretty good uh, combination as well. But I don't know. But but, but you have two really young first round picks, right? A really young uh, tight end who's having the best season of any tight end in football right now, right? Uh, and then you have the 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 game changer, Lamar Jackson. Right. I think Lamar is going to have a field day. I, think I hope he, so. I, I think he's going to rush for over eighty yards. I think he's going to throw for over two fifty and a few touchdowns. Um, they got to get the run game going. They got they got to get the run game going. Latavius Murray not going to play. No. So you're going to see more of the same. Freeman Bell. Tyson Williams. I was very surprised they didn't trade for a running back. Although, oh, yeah. I don't want to say very surprised because I said to Glenn, I was like, they haven't made a move yet. I don't think they're going to. Yeah, it was late at that point. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't think they were going to. Um, but if I can't believe they did nothing to address offensive line and to address. Although, well, sorry to yell. Um, <laughs> Nick Boyle's back. Nick Boyle's back. What Nick yep. Boyle does for that offense. He's, piece. He, he's a great Run blocker. Just I agree. A, he's arguably the best blocking tight end in football. Yeah. And he doesn't drop passes. No. He, he catches the ball as you throw to him. Now, watch, he'll have two drops tomorrow. <laughs> in this block. Yeah. But he is coming off a devastating leg injury. They right. said that he's moving a little stiff, but that was a, the beginning of his uh, 21 days to get back. So I, I, I'm interested to see if you have 100% Nick Boyle, um, it's going to be a, a a good thing for this Ravens offense moving forward. I agree. Uh, Lamar is going to have a big day tomorrow. I expect the Ravens to win this game tomorrow. I'm going to go out and say Ravens win 34-24. Ooh, okay. I, I think it's going to be a little closer than that. Um, I'm going to go 31-27. 31-27. Yep, going to subtract three from the Ravens and, and add three to the Vikings. So Ravens win 31-27. Okay, works for me. Guys, thanks for tuning into the Bat Around. Uh, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to our guests, Chip Carey, uh, Stan the Fan, Charles, and Brett Hollander. Have really fun doing the show. Uh, have really fun. Really had a lot Re- of really fun. fun. I have really fun. <laughs> I really had a lot of fun doing the show today. Can't wait to do it again next week. Until then, see ya.